Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pixar Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with River Brown. This is now episode 83. And today we have a guest, a good friend of Riv and somebody I have a lot of Twitter back and forths with, Sebastian NJ, New Jersey product. So in this episode, we are going to talk about the play-in, John Morant calling himself a top five point guard, the Wizards hot streak, Michael Porter's emergence, NFL teams with the best and worst drafts, and Adam Schefter saying he had no sources for his report on Aaron Rodgers wanting out. This is now episode 83, and right now we are at 26 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you guys would like to go review our podcast, give us five stars so we can move up in the ranks. And this is going to be a great episode. We have some basketball topics. I know the season is nearing an end. We're about to get into the into playing territory. And the playing has been a very controversial topic to talk about because some people love the idea. Other people's don't. So just recently, LeBron said that whoever came up with the idea should be fired. Luca and Mark Cuban did not like the play-in at all. And the format of the play-in is that the eight seed is going to face the seven seed. Whoever wins that game is going to be the seven seed. And the 10 seed faces the nine seed. Whoever wins that game faces the loser of the eight seed versus seven seed. And whoever wins the matchup between that one is the eight seed. So the 10 seed and the nine seed ha- have to win two games. Whoever the seventh and the eighth seed are, they only have to win one to get into the playoffs. So what are your thoughts overall on the plan? I know that you didn't like it at first. So I don't know if you changed your opinion on that. No, I just think like teams who are 500 shouldn't be in it. You know, you look at the teams like the Wizards and I, I know they're fighting hard and they're fighting late, but I feel like in a situation, sh- I think it should be situational. You know, in a situation where teams are very close, like say, for example, us three, we all have our teams. Your team is 48 and 35. Your team is 47 and 36. My team is 45 and 34. I think that would inquire playing because our records are so close. But in a situation where records aren't that close, I don't think a playing deems any purpose because you were garbage for most of the year. And the fact that you picked it up at the end, you shouldn't get rewarded for that. Uh, I, I'm going to tally on what he said. I believe that it could be a little bit of a, a stretch to make it a 10-man team. But at the same time, you look at the teams that are going to make it in. You have Golden State with Steph Curry. You have the San Antonio Spurs, which were a dynasty until they all kind of, you know, dispersed or retired or whatever it may be. But you have teams that have fan bases that are big for the, you know, big for the NBA. You have the Washington Wizards, who are right now are on a tear. They're entering in a hot streak, and right now I believe they can counterpart with anybody that's in the plan. Um, I think it's great for the NBA to add more fan bases into the playoffs, give it a little bit of juice that it was missing from from earlier because back then the AFC would probably be locked in maybe with seven games left, and you would have a lot of players resting, where now as you have two other teams with maybe two potential teams playing in, you have a lot of teams now that are actually fighting for something. Now the back end of the season is actually more meaningful. And I think with that going forward, I think it's going to be a lot more productive for the NBA. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, I would think that you would love the play-in because your team went all in at the trade deadline, getting Nikola Vucevic, you're a Bulls fan, Riv, to try and get into the play-in and hopefully get a playoff spot. So I would think it would be great for you guys because most of the time you don't have a chance to get in the playoffs. Let's be realistic. Nobody wants to see us in the, in the playoffs. Nobody wants to see the Spurs, the Warriors. Let's be honest. 
everybody only, see one, only wants to see Steph. Pelicans. And Draymond. Nobody wants to see I that. I'm going to be Draymond. honest with you. Everybody wants to see Zion and the Pelicans just because of Zion. Like, I feel like if this was like, like, remember back when this, like, in the West when it was like nine, ten teams that had about 40 plus. Like, if this was around that time, I feel like the playing would have been that moment. And, I like, I feel like you can have it, but it's like situations. Like, like, like uh, Sebastian said, yeah, obviously it's going to bring more meaning for other teams late in the season. It's going to be more intense. Like, you see the Lakers are trying to push. You see Dallas is trying to push. Portland is trying to push because that means something. But at the same time, I feel like some teams don't really necessarily deserve to be, and I think they're just in it because – they have that one guy that's, you know, box office TV and that they need it for the money. I think some teams honestly genuinely don't deserve to be in the playoffs because they've just been bad most of the year. Now, I kind of pair you with this. What would you think about Washington? You said it's situational. Right now, they're on a they're on a tear right now where they're just terrorizing everything. Westbrook is playing back to his MVP self. Yeah. What would you say in that situation where if he gets into this play-in and he takes Washington into the actual playoffs— then it makes sense as why the play-in is but a factor. And also, though, also to go on that point, yeah. Washington has been injured the entire year. So that is true. the play-in is also helpful for teams that maybe they're not as bad as their record shows because they have been hampered with injuries the entire year. And let's be honest. But wait, Atlanta, Atlanta's been hampered with injuries. Okay, yes, they have. But they so also gonna, have they also have excuse? more depth than Washington we, as a whole. But are we going to play the injury excuse? Every team gets injured. Like yes, but we know that Atlanta would not be in this position if it were not for that coaching change. Scott Brooks is a bad coach, so you know to be fair on that, <laughs> I, I'm just saying like, are we really going to say that there's a massive difference between the tenth and seventh seed or the tenth and eighth seed? I, I mean, regardless of who gets in between the eighth or seventh seed. We both know they're going to lose in the first round, most likely. So if you can't win one game to get into the playoffs, do you really deserve to be in the in the playoffs? Like you're, you I just mean, have to win one game with but, home court. But that's like one game. We know in the NBA you can lose at any moment. You know you can walk in and have just have a bad day and lose to a bad team. I mean the Nets full strength lost to the Cavs twice, but we don't care about it because we know when it really matters, they would destroy them. One game can be also a defect. I, I, okay, that, that's true. But I'll also say there's a difference between knowing it's a it's a whatever regular season game versus knowing the Nets versus Cavs. The Nets have to win to be in the playoffs. They would have blown out the Cavs. That's true. But I mean, even if Sexton would have got hot, like they would have tried to yeah, lock him up. That's true. I just I don't see a team that's like a seven seed team that has. 10 plus or 9 plus wins over a 10th seed team. I don't see them being in the same position. Like, I'm looking at the Spurs. Why on earth should they be able to fight for a playoff spot? They've been bad as of late in Washington. I understand they've been hot, but are we really going to reward them just because they've been hot as of late? I get it. They've been hurt, but every let's be realistic. Every team has been hurt this year. This year has just been an injury riddled season, and they just been haven't been able to put it together. I'll say this right now in the Eastern Conference. The difference between the 10th and 8th seed is two and a half games. Yeah. Uh, the Heat would play the Hornets, and the Wizards would play the play Pacers in, in the playing games. Western Conference, the difference between the 10th and 8th seed is two games. The Blazers would face the Grizzlies, and the Warriors would face the Spurs in, in the playing games. I mean, I think the playing is a great idea because it gives a team an, ad- an added incentive to not tank. We, we saw that example with the Bulls. And... It allows teams who have dealt with injuries all year long to make a run and make the playoffs. And all around, I think this is just going to make basketball more competitive. We're basically getting 
a game seven like atmosphere with these play in games walking into the playoffs right before the playoffs. We're getting great basketball to watch. I mean, it's going to drive up revenue. And I can understand that standpoint with like the players don't really want it because, yes, they did, you know, fight all year to get that seating. And an argument I see, you know, thrown around there is that uh, last year was different, right? Because they cut the season short and that's why they did the plan. But this year is a weird season as well. We only have 72 games and fans aren't even in the arenas for the game. So, I mean, it's not like this season is totally back to normal. This is also a weird season. And just to piggyback off that, um, right now the Wizards and Raptors are currently playing, and they're the ninth. I mean, the tenth and eleventh seeds. Does anybody over here want to see the Raptors? But I'm just saying. I want to see the Wizards. So, okay, so let me throw you. Let me throw both of you a scenario. Toronto, say for example, they by some miracle they get a tenth seed. Say for example, they have a great day. Shoot the lights out. They get into the playoffs as an eighth seed. Is that really going to bring us bring in more revenue to watch Toronto, who's been no, relatively gonna, bad all year? They're going to get play. Swept. Yeah, they're same thing with the Spurs. If they get hot and just beat Portland, and they just jump to a seventh AC, do we really want to see them versus the Suns or Utah, or do we want to see Portland in? Like, I get it, but I'll give you another one. Westbrook, do I want to see him in a playing game drop I agree 30, with that. Yeah, 10, and ten? I agree yes, with that, I do. Do sure. I want to see Steph Curry against the Spurs in a playing and drop forty? Yes, I do. I agree. I think so, certain teams you can, yeah, you can and do that. I, yeah. I just believe, like right now, if we're looking at the playing the playing games right now, Heat versus the Hornets, Heat will win that. No, we're like, not. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't care what happens. Yeah. I don't. I don't care if it's yeah. just one game. The Heat will win that game. Yeah. Wizards versus Pacers. I think the Wizards would beat them, and I, the Pacers are higher. I think the Pacers can beat them, but I think the Wizards will beat them. Um, I think Washington will beat them, and I also think they'll also get the ninth seed as well. And then if the Wizards play the Hornets in the next playing game, who's going to win that? I I would pick the Wizards, and I want to see the Wizards in the playoffs. That's just me personally. Then in the West, Blazers versus Grizzlies. I don't want to see San Antonio in the playoffs. Okay, I don't know about you. I, I, no, 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 no. Let's, say, let's just say the Blazers win that game versus the Grizzlies. If the Warriors face the Spurs— it can go I, either way. I, I believe the Warriors would win. Though. I'm telling you, it can go either I way. I know it can go either way, but I think the Warriors would win. Okay. I'll say this. If the Spurs beat the Warriors, I think the Grizzlies will beat them. They, they the, will the beat the Spurs. Beat Spurs. Yeah, I agree. Yes. But if it's the Warriors versus Grizzlies, that can go in either way because we yeah. know Steph could just, you know, be hot and drop 50. But I would rather see that. Like, I would rather these guys earn their spots. Like, I know they played a long season, but... You're just asked to play one more game to secure your spot to win one more game. I don't think it's too much to ask. It's not like a whole playing tournament. Like it adds a, a sense of randomness to it. And I think the only people that are complaining about this are the players that are now in the position to maybe be in the playing. Like LeBron was not talking about this until At all. he was a sixth seed and about to be the seventh. Luca and the Mavs. We're not talking about this until they were the seventh seed and about to be in a plan. Like, if they had a top seed the entire year, they would not say anything about it. That's why the top teams have not said it. I, I haven't heard Chris Paul talk about it. I haven't heard Donovan Mitchell talk about it. I haven't heard anybody at the top seed talk about this because they don't care if it's not affecting them. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get where you're coming from. And the reason why I brought up the Raptors and Wizards is, one, because if right now we had the old current format, the Hornets are the eighth seed. They're 12 and a half back of the number one seed you have the raptors that are 18 back that's six and a half difference or five and a half difference they're tanking they're no longer playing any meaningful games the rest of the year the fans are no longer intrigued in a sense 
Um, right now they're in a they're in a game where they have a chance against the uh, the play in with the Wizards. So right yeah. now today they're playing meaningful basketball. If this wasn't around, Toronto would not be playing meaningful basketball. They'll be Tampa on the beach the rest of the season. Yeah, Malachi Flynn yeah. will be playing fifty minutes a game. Right about now. No, he's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> now I definitely I think yeah I, no, I agree with you. I think like it it warrants for some teams obviously Washington Warriors you know the exciting teams for teams that really we don't need to see. I don't I think like certain aspects. It should be involved to play in. I think sometimes it could work. Sometimes in the East for right now, I think because six to ten is so close. I think definitely the play in should be good because Miami and Boston could be in the play in in a couple of days. So I think in the East it definitely should be used. I think in the West though, some teams like I think the play in, you know, for teams like the Pelicans and the Spurs, it was just trying to get them in for revenue. Definitely the Pelicans trying to get them in just for revenue. And they still but, have a shot. Yeah, yeah, they they do, which is crazy to me. But San Antonio has lost five straight. They suck. They so really suck. I just wanted to piggyback to to one of the years that the plan was not around. So 2018-2019 season, the in the Eastern Conference, the Pistons made the play made the playoffs as an eighth seed. The Hornets with Kemba were the ninth, and the Heat were tenth. Yeah. At 39 to 43. So, what I've wanted to see the Hornets with Kemba over the Pistons, probably. probably. You know, then look at the Western Conference of that year. The Clippers made the eighth seed with the, you know, Lou Will, Harrell, and that team, Shea. The ninth and tenth seed were the Kings and the Lakers. So, the Lakers with the healthy Braun, you know, they missed the playoffs a year because Braun was hurt. You know, what I wanted Braun to get a chance to get into playing. Yes, no. the Kings. I wouldn't have wanted to be in the plan. You know, I would have wanted them to be in the playoffs, but I, I would have easily want. wanted LeBron and the Lakers to to do what to be in the playoffs over the Clippers to play who the Warriors. They're going to lose in four games. I mean, even if that's true, but the Clippers. Let's be real. The Clippers were a more exciting series than the Lakers would have been. If Braun is there, no, I don't even think the Lakers would have beat the Clippers in the plan. Well, I don't know. I don't know. They did have Brandon Ingram, Lonzo. Yeah. I mean, they had talent. Clippers, Kuzma. Clippers would have only had to need one game. I feel like they, they could have took him out. In one game, LeBron versus the Clippers, I'll take LeBron. I'll take LeBron, too. But that's my thing, though. The Clippers worked hard all year for them to lose one game. The Clippers deserve to be in. Yeah, Let's like, it it, some teams true, deserve but also, it. also... LeBron was hurt the majority of the year. I mean, if LeBron is not healthy, then the Clippers win easily. But that's my thing too. Like, if you're a, a far superior team than the than the ninth and tenth seed, yeah. you should have no problem beating these teams. So, regardless, like the plane, I think is a great idea because you know if you're this good, then you should beat those teams. I think there are certain years where teams are so close that they do need a chance to make the playoffs. Like the Suns would go on Dragic when they were the ninth seed. Like. They were like half or one game behind making the playoffs in the West. 48 and 34, I believe. Exactly. And they didn't even get a chance to make it. it was That's just, where a play, play-in is warranted, that moment right there. Yeah, and I think with the plan, I don't know if the plan is going to be here to stay. I hope it is. But obviously, LeBron is asking for whoever made it to be fired. So <laughs> we'll see, you know, if they get fired or not, if this idea is going to be going to. No, didn't Adam Silver do it? He was a part of it, obviously. Oh, yeah, it's quiet. LeBron don't got that much power. Yeah, it's weird, though, because LeBron signed off on it before the year started. Because they were, like, third seed. Yeah, but he signed off on it before the year started. Now he's kind of switching his stance, whatever. We're all human, but... Uh, I don't think he expected the Lakers to be where they're at now. He didn't at all. He thought they were going to be good. Yeah, he thought they were going to be at the top of the yeah. food chain. He didn't think AD was just going to be playing GT every other day <laughs> on live stream. Killing Curry. 
Crazy. That was ridiculous. His one win against Curry. <laughs> so the Bucks faced the Nets the other day. They actually faced them, I think, twice in the last week. And the Bucks beat them twice. They're two and one against the Nets this season. And to be fair, Harden hasn't played in two of those games. And the first one that the Nets did beat the Bucks in, Kyrie did not play either. So the the Bucks have not faced a, a healthy Nets team yet. But I know, Riv, you've believed this entire year that the Bucks match up very well with the Nets. Yeah. You think they can beat them in the series if it you never said that? I've never said that. You can ask them right here. I've never yeah, said no. that. You never said that, no, but I, I you said think, that they match up yes, well. That's what I said. You know, and I honestly believe that this could be a, a six, seven game series because of the Nets injuries and the chemistry. I think the chemistry will probably be, be fine, but obviously the Bucks have, you know, had way more time to mesh. But when they have played, I love the games. I mean, it's a playoff atmosphere. It feels like they're taking it seriously. Every game and close. Just to praise the Bucks a little bit, I think this is this team has a different feel to it. You know, Eric Bledsoe was such a liability for them the last couple of years because he's super inconsistent. But Drew Holiday is just such a better player than him all around. Defensively, he's better. As a shooter, he's better. Ball handler, he's better. Like Drew Holiday is better all around. And I love the addition oh, of, of, of PJ oh, Tucker. Like PJ Tucker cooked. <laughs> PJ Tucker is the Kevin Durant stopper. What? Let's that's got to stop. You know, let's uh, maybe he's not going to hold Durant. No, I you know, he's there under a certain possession. amount of points. He's there every position. But Tucker, if there's one guy I want guarding Durant, it's PJ Tucker. Not named Kawhi. It's PJ Tucker. I wouldn't want anybody else guarding. I would name a few more Durant. Guys. Durant's even said, they asked him on Twitter, who's the best one-on-one defender that you ever faced? And he said, P.J. Tucker's hacking ass. So, yeah. you know, it, Tucker is that KD stopper. They both went to college together. So, I mean, this team all around has a different feel to it. Obviously, they went yeah. to college together? Yeah, they did. For real? They play, he played with LaMarcus Aldridge, yeah. P.J. was there? Yeah, P.J. was on wow, that team. Wow, he sucks. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. He was not playing. So, Giannis <laughs> is having an MVP-like year, and... They have good shooters, Bobby Porter's, Brent Forbes. Like this team has a different feel to it, but I think some teams get trapped in this like kind of space where they're good, but there are just teams that are better. Like the Nets are a super team. It's going to be hard to beat them. So I don't know if they can make it to the finals this year and beat the Nets, but any other year they would be one of my one of my top two picks. Like you said, both you know all three games, playoff atmosphere, great games. You know they gave us. I feel like every game they all, both teams took it serious, brought their A games. Katie and Giannis put on the show last two games. I think when Hardy gets back, obviously it's going to be some adjustments. But from looking at the games, it seems like Mike Budenholzer is out coaching Steve Nash. In my opinion, I think he's beating him with the X's and O's, the defensive matchups. I think he's beating him with his system and. Like you said, Giannis is starting to take them shots, and that's what we've been wanting him to do. You know, the mid-range, the little pop-out shoot, he's taking the three. And, you know, with Brooklyn, it's they have a super team. Top-heavy talent is better than uh, the Bucks. I think the Bucks are a little deeper, but I think top-heavy, you know, Brooklyn has it. But with the matchups, like I kept saying, you know, Drew Holiday is on Kyrie. Harden's probably going to be the, the the kicker because I don't know if they're going to put Middleton on him or it's up Tucker on KD or you could put Giannis on KD and then you just have Middleton on Harden. But they have the matchup so they can go small, big, whatever. It doesn't matter. And when you look at the – like Steve Nash, like Brooklyn doesn't have a Miami Heat team, a Toronto team where they can build a wall and stop Giannis. I don't think they have that personnel. I think they're just going to have to 
listen, we're going to just have to outscore them every game. And I know, I think the Bucks know that they can't stop the Nets. I think they're realizing they're going to have to score too. And you saw it the last two games, you know, granted Harden wasn't there, but on the other side, I don't think Harden's going to stop them defensively. So you can kind of talk about the Bucks on offense. I think they showed that Chris Middleton stepped his game up. Drew Holiday stepped his game up. Giannis, you know, he stepped his game up. Dante DiVincenzo, he played good. P.J. Tucker, you know, he was in there for defense. He made KD work for, you know, granted KD is KD, but he made KD work for every bucket. He was there at every possession. Brooke Lopez was playing a big role when he got his minutes. So it's, you know, it's the little things. And I think the Bucks, like I've been saying, they have the best personnel in the East, one of the best in the league to really match up well with the Nets. The, with the Nets, the only thing that's going to hurt them, I think, is the chemistry problems and injuries. I think they have everything they need to win the championship. They have everything they need to beat the Bucks. The Bucks are going to walk in as underdogs, so they really have nothing to lose. And the chip is on the Nets' shoulder. They have to win that series. But I think all in all, they gave us a great three games. First game, KD shut it down. Next two games, Giannis put on the show. And I like what we're going to see. I think it's going to be a seven-game series. Well, you guys both know that I'm a diehard Nets fan. That's and, sad. And, okay. That's <laughs> Um, but what I saw from those two games were actually very key. Um, I saw KD and Kyrie were able to take the same amount of shots that they always take, but be efficient with it. Um, Kyrie was a little off his first game. Second game, he bounced back tremendously. KD was kind of a little bit off in the second game. Um, but when you look at what they were doing, the f- first game was decided by three points. KD had a chance to tie it, didn't make it, game over. Second game, um, I was watching it clearly that the Nets were up. They were up six or seven points at one point, and then the Bucks just go on an 18-to-1 run. Dang. An 18-to-1 run. And throughout that run, now one timeout was called. There was no change in, in zone or man. Steve Nash just basically said in the postgame uh, interview, just I wanted to let them play and figure it out on their own. He called it problem solving. The playoffs is not time for problem solving. And I believe <laughs> who's going to take charge in that will probably be James Harden. I believe James Harden is going to, you know, figure it out on the floor without having to use those timeouts where to put the players. And Katie and Kyrie are going to have to just rely on each other just to get the open shots. They have one of the best three-point uh, shooters in Joe Harris. Um, and just to back, uh, piggyback off what Joel said, the Bucks can shoot the three like any other team in the league. They just have shooters everywhere. Pat Connaughton, DiVincenzo can shoot the three. Lopez can shoot the three. Giannis is getting better. Drew can shoot that shit too. Drew can shoot it. I mean, Chris Chris had a weird year this year. He's just I, I defend Chris Middleton to the death, but it's just he's had games where he just goes non existent. That's um, been the playoffs for him too. Yeah. And he can't afford that this year. This year he just can't do it. If you're gonna be the number two on that team, you can't do it. Um but I think I believe Brooklyn wins the series. I believe that the Bucks might even jump out to a two one lead or something of the sort. And kind of shake up that Nets team and be like, okay, this is this is the playoffs. We can't be doing this no more. What Steve Nash is doing is so Steve Kerr like. Like you can just see it in why he was there. Like he's let them problems because he has the team. So he's just like he doesn't really have to coach. Like leaving DeAndre Jordan on an island first game was ridiculous. Like just letting him be out there by himself, no help. Like you can switch. I I fully believe you can switch KD on Giannis and you can get a better result than what DeAndre Jordan was. They getting. tried Blake Griffin game too. Same yeah. result. That's what like it was just like DeAndre is just standing there letting him get like you don't as a defender I get somebody can't shoot but you don't let them get to their spot because then you're just making it easy for yeah. them you at least make it hard for them like you're just letting him get to his spot in the paint and then let him take that little whatever he wants to call that the little mid range floater whatever yeah. and it's just gonna be easy for him so it's like 
it's just little things like that that they have to work out. And I think the greatest part about what the Nets did is they showed you their game plan in a sense against them. They showed you part of their game plan is going to be letting Giannis shoot. If Giannis wants to take that pull-up three or that open three, they're going to let him shoot. DeAndre Jordan was turning his back on him. Yep. Um, and another thing for that last game, that third game, like uh, KD said in the post-game interview, they shot 14 more shots in them. The Nets missed 10 free throws. They were on fire from three, but that's about it. So if you take into account most of the things that went wrong and went terribly wrong for the Nets. Brooklyn Nets, they could have three would the Bucks in this in this uh, regular season series. So it's it's going to be a very interesting series, but we'll we'll see how it plays out. Out of all the important players on the Bucks, Brooke Lopez actually shoots the worst percentage from three at like thirty five percent. Yeah. So Wait, are we counting Giannis? I wasn't kind of young because, oh, okay. you know, he's <laughs> yeah. the guy who's going to really create. You said most important mouthful. Yeah. Said, yeah. Like Giannis yeah. shoots 31% from the he's three. He's getting though. better. Yeah, so he's getting better, yeah, but, you know, still better. pretty bad. But, you know, Giannis, what I like, love about him is that he's taking the threes, though. Like, he's taking those shots. Like, if you're going to dare him to shoot it, he's going to take it. There will be some games he goes two for eight. There will be some games he goes four for eight, though. Just keep taking them. You know, he, he does sometimes, you know, go in a little stretch and, you know— I think James Harden is that missing piece. Obviously, he's the best player on Brooklyn right now. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, people love to think it's Kevin Durant, but you look at the record with James Harden and without James Harden. Oh, obviously, the win, the win-loss column shows that Harden is the most important player on that team, and he's the best player. Look, all respect to Kevin Durant. He's an all-world scorer. But James Harden just makes that team go. James Harden could be the first-seeded son, son's team without Kyrie and without KD. I don't think KD can do the same without Harden or KD. So he is their floor general. I'll give Harden, you that. Harden is going to season. be is going to be that guy, <laughs> you know. And my prediction, obviously, I have the Nets winning the championship. I've had I've had them winning the championship since they traded for Harden, and I think I guess the Bucks is going to be tough. Because they do, ha- they can go small. I mean, their small lineup looks really scary. I mean, Drew Holiday, elite defender, Chris Middleton, he's a good to great he's defender good. on some nights. He's he's, a good defender. he's manageable. And then Giannis, we know he's an elite defender. Then Tucker, probably the best in the league. And then we look at Brooke Lopez. <laughs> Brooke Lopez can block some shots, so their small ball lineup looks very scary. And even if they want to put Tucker at center or Giannis at center, and maybe even put Brent Forbes in the game, I mean, oh, they can cool. really go small. He can shoot that ball, and because, and he because, will shoot. And oh, yeah, that, that's why Tucker was yeah. such an important piece to get at the trade deadline. A, a lot of teams wanted him. The Heat, the Bucks, the Sixers. I thought the Nets should have got him because I would have been – really good for them but I, I think Tucker really makes them versatile in terms of what lineups they can play with and Tucker has proven he can guard KD he can at least make it tough on him and when you put Drew on Kyrie Drew that was nice where he made him non-existent I'm saying and I know Kyrie's going through Ramadan right now no, they're so. gonna have those two are gonna have a very 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 interesting series they're yeah so go back and forth it's just we're gonna have to see what happens but all around I still do have confidence in the Nets but I think this series will easily go to six games, if not seven. Like, I think it it really will be a hell of a series. Yeah, it sucks that we didn't, you know, get to see the Nets. For, you know, first time it was just KD and Harden. You know, they went crazy. Second time and third time it was KD and Kyrie. I wish we would have got to see a preview of it with all three guys. But, you know, come playoff time, those three versus Giannis and his boys, it's going to be very interesting. I think we're on a collision course to see those two guys in the ECF. Hopefully, I don't want anybody else to spoil it. I hope we see it. 
They'll be the semis. Yeah. It's, it's, what? Yeah. Oh, they're third. Yeah. Oh, damn. Whatever. Philly's locked up in the number Hate one Philly. seed. But like, I'm glad. I'm glad we get to see this matchup. Anyways, it's. I think it's going to go six at least seven games. Definitely. Either way, it's going to be interesting. Giannis and his boys. It's. It's really going to come down to Steve Nash too. You know what is he going to do in the playoffs? His coaching scheme. How is he going to adjust? That whole problem solving. That was stupid. I'm not even going to acknowledge that. That was just ridiculous. But he's going to have to figure out his X and his O's. And he has KD. He has Harden. He has the guys. So he's going to have to really show that he can coach. It's not just about the players. Coaches help win championships too. So he's going to have to put himself in that position. Two teams that are also great right now are the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. The Jazz right now are 48 and 18. They're the number one seed. And the Suns are 47 and 19. They're the second seed. And which team is a bigger threat in the playoffs? Like, I know that. Early in, early in the season, the Jazz had all the hype around them. Even though they have stayed relatively steady throughout the whole year, the hype has kind of died down. Nobody's talking about them as much. Now we're all talking about the Suns, Chris Paul, MVP candidate, Devin Booker, all this other stuff. So, I mean, what team, if, if you're, let's say, if you're the Clippers or the Nuggets, what team are you trying to avoid or would you be more scared to face in the playoffs, the Suns or the Jazz? <sighs> It's it's tough because I'm not too high on Phoenix, and it's not because they don't have talent. It's just the inexperience. You know, experience I think does play a huge part in the NBA in the playoffs. I think that's a big thing. And although they have Chris Paul, they have young guys like Devin Booker, Michael Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, who's never sniffed winning basketball in the NBA. So it's and then you know with Utah, you know coming off a three one, they blew a three one lead. But they've had some success beating Paul George, Carmelo, and they played James Harden and them boys twice. So they and Chris Paul, so they know what it's like. Donovan Mitchell, he's shown that he's a pretty impressive playoff performer this early in his career. Rudy Gobert is gonna be Rudy Gobert. Mike Conley, over those grizzly days, he's shown that he can really hoop. So I think in the end, I, I would put my safe bet in Utah. I just think they have the better personnel. You know, they're one of the best shooting teams in the league. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league. They have their number one in Donovan. There is no split between two guys. Donovan is their number one guy in the go-to. Mike Conley is great. He's been playing excellent this year. He's a playoff performer. They got Bogdan. They got Joe Ingles. They got Joe, Jordan Clarkson. I know he shoots whenever he gets the ball, but he's looking like the sixth man of the year. He's been playing impressive. They have guys. So I think with this team, you know, retooling after last year's blown lead, getting their guys healthy, I think I can put my safe bet in them and Quinn Snyder to definitely be a bigger threat than Phoenix. Yeah, it's Utah for me. Um, it's Utah for multiple reasons. They can they can shoot the lights out. They can lock you up. And they have that crunch time performer in Donovan Mitchell. Um, something with Phoenix that I saw a lot of this year was when they go down, they're, they're out. Like They kind of put their heads down, and that's because of their lack of experience for me and their youth. And I think that all gets better uh, over time. And I think Chris Paul did help change that mentality a little bit. But we got to relax on the MVP talk with Chris Paul yeah. because I think Nicola already locked it up. And if it was anybody else, it would be Joel if he didn't get injured. Um, but let's be realistic. Utah has shown us throughout the whole year that they're not a fluke or they're not just a team that's going to like lay low in the playoffs. They they come out and they, they've beaten a bunch of teams by 30-plus points. Like They're here and they're, they go for the kill when it's there. If they're up 15, they're going to make that point a 25-point lead, and I think that's going to help a lot in terms of the playoffs, and I don't see them losing in the first two rounds. 
I can see them going all the way to the, the uh, Western Conference Finals. You know, the Jazz right now are third in points per game, third in opponents points per game, and they're first in net rating. The Suns are eighth in points per game, seventh in opponent points per game, and fourth in net rating. So it's a close matchup. And if the Suns had a little bit more experience, I probably, you know, would pick them because I'm very high on Chris Paul. I love Devin Booker. But if we're just going mano to mano, matchup versus matchup, let's just talk about the two teams. Chris Paul versus Mike Conley. Chris Paul wins that. And we know that, right? Donovan Mitchell this versus where it gets close. Donovan Mitchell versus Devin Booker. Who's I'm going who Donovan. Are you taking? I'm taking Mitchell. Yeah, I'm taking Donovan Mitchell. Then you look at Royce O'Neal versus Mikael Bridges. Anyways. You're going with Mikael Bridges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you look at Bogdan Bogdanovich versus Crowder. I'm taking Bogdan. Bogdan. Yeah, you know, I think it it's close, de- but I would it take depends Bogdan. on who you want. I'll probably take Bogdan too. Then would you go Bear and DeAndre Ayton? You know, I would go Gobert. Yeah. I, I know Aiton is like he's I starting just, to be an elite defender, but I'll go Gobert. I think this matchup definitely favors Utah because they can use Gobert a lot yeah. more. Like a lot more. I think it, with a team like the Lakers or the Clippers where they can go small, this would hurt you, uh, Rudy. But it, a team that uses a big man, I think this is definitely going to show Rudy Gobert's worth in the playoffs. And this is going to be pretty good for him so he can show that he can maintain and keep that defensive Stopper on DeAndre Ian. And then we talk about their bench. Like the Suns don't have a duo off their bench as good as Jordan Clarkson or Joe Ingles. The Suns don't have anybody on their bench who can go out and drop 30 every night. And that's Jordan Clarkson for the Jazz. Like, who are you going to rely on? Cam Johnson or Cameron Payne? Like, I know those are pretty good players. Dario Saric, you know, those are good role players, but they're not going to drop 30. You know, Joe Ingles has been one of the more efficient players in the league this season. He's a point forward. So, I think the Jazz are a scarier team because not only are do the numbers show that they're a better team this season and they have better personnel, but they have been with each other longer. And also that you mentioned it, they have that playoff experience. Like nobody outside of Chris Paul, Dario Saric, Jay uh, Jay Crowder, and Torrey Craig have playoff experience on that Suns team. And that's basically saying that. The Suns' most important players in, in Booker, Aiton, McKell, and Cam Johnson have no playoff experience whatsoever. So I would be more scared to face the Jazz, especially losing 3-1 last year and feeling like they have something to prove this season. Even even without the 3-1, you know, people have been bashing Utah all year, treating them like a joke, you know, not respecting Mitchell and Gobert in the All-Star game. So I know they have a chip to prove. And this guy, you know, Mike Conley, he's been deep in the playoffs. He's been in deep runs, so he's going to be – Big for them. You know, they got Bogdan. They didn't have Bogdan last year in the playoffs. They got him back for this year's playoffs. So it's just like, you know, experience. It's the experience thing. You know, Utah and Phoenix, you know, Phoenix is playing phenomenal. Shout out to Monty Williams. But I think experience is really going to hurt Phoenix. And a lot of these teams are going to outshine them because of that experience. You know, a lot of teams are – this is probably the least ex- experienced team walking into the playoffs out of the big team. So it's going to be tough for these young guys and for them to adapt because the whistle gets tighter. You don't get as many calls as you get in the regular season. Defenses get a little more aggressive. Schemes become harder. You know, you see the same team about five, six times in a one-week, two-week span. You know, you don't stretch it out. So it's going to be the same game plan. You're going to see a lot of some difficult things. So it's going to be the lack of experience that's going to really hurt them. But if they get past it, shout out to them. I will say one thing, and I have a question for both of you guys. Where do you guys see Devin Booker? in his first playoff performance. Do you see him as a guy that will come out and explode on the scene, or do you see him going through some rough patches in the playoffs? I think 
the way because of the way he plays, you know, the fact that he doesn't rely on his three ball and he takes the mid-range, he'll go to the basket, he has the floater in him. I think his versatility on offense is what's going to keep him from struggling. I think he's going to have a lot of turnovers, though. He's going to take a lot of shots. His field goal percentage is going to dip, but I don't think he's going to fall off a cliff completely, though. I think he'll be all right. But, you know, he is 25, 26, yeah. so come on, man. But I think because yeah. of his versatility on offense, I think he'll be okay. It really depends on how they uh, game plan for him. You know, if they're coming out and they're saying, we're going to stop this guy and give him a James Harden-like treatment, double-teaming him, I think he's really going to struggle. <clears throat> but if he, you know, has, if most of the series he's going to go one-on-one, coming off screens and stuff like that, I think he'll have a pretty productive series. So I think he'll play pretty good. You know, I think Devin Booker has been waiting on this moment since he got into the league. For a while, yeah. From, he's been waiting for what this. What I see from teams in Phoenix, I see a lot of them let Booker go off. Yeah. And stop everybody else. Like mm-hmm. I've seen games where he's he goes off 30, 35, and they get blown out by twenty. And yeah. you know, the, you look at the box score, the team struggled, and he but he put on the show. I think that's the motto in going into Phoenix because Chris Paul is not at that age where he's going to really do all that, especially at this point in the regular season. And you know, these other guys, a young Michael Bridges, he's great, but he's you know kind of one dimensional. He's not a guy that's going to get like he's kind of like a three and D type of guy Cameron Johnson too DeAndre and he's still yeah. young but I think that's what teams game plan when they play Phoenix so it's going to be it's it's interesting to see Utah has defenders that they can throw at him but it's going to be interesting to see how they defend him I believe Donovan I mean uh, Devin Booker will struggle I believe that he's going to force shots as his first he's going to he's going to feel like he's the number two which he is at the end of the day I don't believe he's the number one option because at the end of the day the ball is running through Chris Paul's hands the whole time um I think Don, uh, Devin Booker is going to struggle a lot, and his field goal percentage might shoot to where we've seen some players shoot below. We've seen Harden go down to the 30s. We've seen Westbrook go down to the 30s. We've seen a lot of players go down to those field goal percentage in series hurts you. and games, and you know it, and we all know it. Um, I think he's going to try to do too much, but he's going to learn for it, and on top of that, Chris Paul might... He's a great mentor for him, so I believe without Chris Paul, they won't be there, but even if they did make the playoffs without him, Devin Booker would would just try to put all the weight on his shoulders and it would it would struggle tremendously. Yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see that happening. Um, also, we have to remember that Chris Paul's playoff film is out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know last year against OK with OKC against the Rockets, he played phenomenal. He had a great series, but the year before that, the Rockets versus Warriors, he looked old. Like we thought he was washed after that series because he looked so bad in that series. So it really depends on which Chris Paul shows up. You know, we we have seen this happen in the past where Chris Paul led teams have the highest of expectations with the Clippers being a top seed year in after year in after year, and then you know blowing a three one lead. You yeah. know, we have seen that happen to Chris Paul before. We have seen him get injured during playoff series. Like we have seen a lot. So. That's why back to the question, I would I would not want to face Utah. I would rather face Phoenix than Utah. Sure. But also we have to cool down on the Phoenix talk because I know that they're playing well and people are kind of getting hyped about them and praising Chris Paul deservedly so. But let's not act like we have not seen this before, mm. where Chris Paul has led a great regular season team that has completely crumbled in the playoffs. We have seen this before. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he should be an MVP conversation at the top of the helm right now how people are trying to compare him to joker the joker has the joker part of me has been consistent all year with his performance 
I think him, they were down bad early in the season. He's climbed them back up to one of the top teams in the West. You know, it was like six, seven seed. He got them up here to four or five. They beat the Clippers without Jamal Murray and his boys. You know, he's been on a tear without Jamal Murray. So I think the MVP case, uh, the MVP case, aside from like what Seb said, Joel Embiid, who just, you know, he had a, he balled out the other day. If it's not Joel Embiid after the Joker, it's, it's the Joker. That's it. It shouldn't be Chris Ball. That conversation should honestly be over. But, you know, people are going to be excited because, yeah, he's doing this, he's doing that. The team is impressive. Yeah, but he shouldn't be in the MVP conversation. So Russell Westbrook right now has been on the tear. I mean, he's really been having like a triple-double every other day. The Wizards are 13-4 and four since acquiring Daniel Gafford. And they're, 11, they're, and they're also 13-4 in the last 17 games. I mean, they're playing great basketball right now. They still have a pretty bad defense, but their offense is better now. I mean, they're fourth in points per game. They're first in pace in a league, but they're last in opponent points per game. Right now, they're the 10 seed at 30 and 35. I mean, just quick question. Do you guys believe that the Wizards will make the playoffs if they, you know, not only get into the play on, playing, but they have to face the teams in the playing? Right now, they would face the Pacers. Then they would have to uh, beat the winner or no, they would have to beat the loser between the Heat and the Hornets. Well, I think they'll make the playoffs. It depends. You know, like, I think Indiana being so banged up and so hurt, I think they're going to be in the plan. I think Charlotte, you know, they're kind of 50-50. You don't know Miami. I don't know if they're going to catch fire. I think they got a, a two-game uh, series coming up with Boston. And Boston, you know, you never know with Boston. You know, they can win, they can lose. Like, they're really... A you don't know story, so it it's gonna be tough to really assess if Wash. I think Washington's gonna get in the plan a hundred percent, and then I don't know if they're gonna get in the playoffs depending on who they play. If we're looking at it right now from today's standpoint, I think they'll get in the playoffs. They will play Charlotte, I believe. They will play the Pacers and then Charlotte. Yeah, I think with the Pacers being so banged up and Charlotte just, I think, and they're coaching. Yeah, he's not that good. And Charlotte, you know, they're young. And experience, you know, they got a lot of good talent, but they're just too young. I think Westbrook can beat them by themselves. I think he can, him and Bradley Bill could just go on a tear and they they can get that win. So I, I do see them as of today getting into the playoffs and either playing Philly or the Nets. I believe they make the playoffs, and I believe it because of West, uh, Russell Westbrook and Bradley Bill. Um, another thing is that Indiana, they just wow. I mean, you can ask Riv. I thought they were a dark horse this year to probably upset somebody. <laughs> I thought they were, and it wasn't because of Karis LeVert. It was <laughs> before that trade. It was I mean, because Warren of Sabonis. Warren did get injured, though. Yeah. Warren got injured. You have Turner out for the year as well. You have a bunch of players that I thought they were obviously going to be healthy. Um, I thought they would be able to upset maybe a Celtics team or, or or Atlanta Hawks team or something of the sort. I didn't think they were going to go take one of the top three out. Um, that being said, Warren's out for the year. You have Miles Turner out for the year. Brogdon, we don't know what. When he's coming back, it's a hamstring problem. We've seen it sideline KD. We've seen it sideline Harden. Um, I believe Washington will take them out, if and I think they'll get the ninth seed. So I believe they'll take them out in that first game. They'll get them out of the way. And we don't know who's going to come out of the Celtics heat, but either one of them are going to take the Charlotte Hornets out. So I believe the Wizards have a chance to take out the Hornets unless we've seen the Hornets just go off one night and just, you know how they are. So I believe Washington does get in. Um I don't think it changes the fact that they will lose to Philly, but they can put a series on with Philly as well. I do believe it. I do believe it because of Westbrook. 
Yeah, this is a normal Westbrook. He'll get you in the playoffs, but he'll lose in the first round. Ooh. At least, uh, un- unless he's teamed up with James Harden, that is. But, you know, so. They lost in the second. It's still in not the first. Sweep, <laughs> it's like. not the first. So, I mean, Westbrook right now is averaging 22, 11, and 11. He's averaged a triple-double for the last five seasons. I 100% believe that they're going to make the playoffs if they do get into the play-in because I don't think the Hornets can beat them. But let me ask you a question, plot twist. What if Hornets get hot, Heat, Celtics stumble? Uh, the Wizards are out. You think Wizards get they out? They actually can beat the Celtics. You think so? Yes. yes. Yeah, I think okay. one game, okay, yeah, Westbrook yeah, yeah. and Beal going off, yeah. I think they can beat the, the Celtics. Celtics have looked so bad this year. So bad. I agree, I agree. Like one, like, but I think if the Heat get in, it's over. Like if they end up in the play-in and they see yeah. Washington, I think it's it's wraps. I don't think they're beating Jimmy Butler in the play-in. I game. just think a backcourt of Beal and Westbrook can win you a game. You know, regardless of who it is, Brown, depending, I, I, they, they don't know when Brown is coming back. Who Brown? Jalen Brown. Brown. Oh, so he just yeah. That's down, that's huge so. for them too. You know, yeah. I mean, Beal averaging thirty-one, Hachimura fourteen points per game, shooting thirty-three percent from the three, which is a a big improvement from where, you know, he was at at one point. And Daniel Gafford, he used to be the Chicago Bulls franchise center, but y'all buried him on the bench. Y'all didn't let him play. And now he's looking like the, the Wizards franchise center. He's averaging 11 and 6 and only 18 minutes and two blocks per game. He's per tough. 36 minutes, he's averaging 22 and 20, 22, 12 and 4. He's hooping. I mean, this guy's balling. And Westbrook, you, look at me. you know that Westbrook has. Given Daniel Gafford more assists in the 17 games that he's played with the Wizards than any Bulls player has in the two years that he was there with the Wizards. You haven't has. had a point guard in like four years. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying that's, <laughs> that's crazy. <sad>. In the <laughs> 17 sad. games, he has given him more assists than anybody on the Bulls. Shout out to Daniel, man. And their remaining schedule right now is the Raptors. They're facing them today. We'll see who wins that game. Uh, the Pacers, they have the Hawks twice, mm. the Cavs, and then the Hornets. Hawks is a big series. Yeah, so I mean, I think in this stretch, they beat the Raptors, they beat the Pacers. That's two and zero. I think they split with the Hawks, so three and one. They could go like five and zero, six and zero. Then with the Cavs, I think it's four and one. Then Hornets, maybe maybe four and two or five and one. I, I could realistically see them going. But the other question is that, uh, do you think Russell Westbrook's greatness is being taken for granted? I know on social media on Twitter. Everybody is, you know, coming out with these posts like "stop disrespecting this man," start appreciating him, and all this stuff. I mean, where where do you sit with that right now? I mean, it's 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 one thing to you know respect his greatness, and then there's other things when people start calling him like the second best point guard ever, and he's gonna go down as better. They start than disrespecting others. Yeah, it's like come on, but um, I I think you you know with Westbrook, his triple doubles and what he's averaged, I think is being diminished, and I think it's gonna be diminished in NBA history. I think people are gonna look at it. And say, well, he was stat padding, you know, we're not going to respect it because we feel like he didn't really earn it. But I think he does deserve to be in history and he should be respected because he did average a triple double. He does play hard every night, no matter the situation. You know, he's put teams on his back, he's led them to the playoffs. But at the same time, you know, he gets to the playoffs, his field goal percentage has dropped. He's looked like Ben Simmons at points in time. People guard him like Ben Simmons. He's shriveled up in moments. You know, he has the same failures as other superstars. So I think. Even more. 
Yeah, so I think he's never. I don't think he's ever going to win a championship, and I think that's always going to be that thing that you know, great players. If you don't get it, you know, Charles Barkley doesn't get remembered a lot in NBA history. Why? Because he doesn't have a championship. John Stockton and Carmelo they get forgotten a lot in conversations. Why? Because they don't have that championship. Steve Nash, let's be realistic, he's only remembered because he won back to back MVPs, and people say he shouldn't have won it. He doesn't have that championship. People who don't win chips, you know, they don't. Dirk. Before he won the chip, people were bashing him. You know, he was number one seed, blowing 3-1 leads. You know, people were not, they were coming for his game. He wins the chip. All of a sudden, Dirk's one of the greatest power forwards ever. That chip, you know, it puts you in a different light than everybody else. KG wasn't being respected until he went to Boston and won that chip. So, you know, it's it's a different feel. And I think that's what's just going to happen with Westbrook. He's going to get lost in history because he didn't win the big one. But he should get respected because he was one of the people that averaged triple-double like Oscar Robertson. So I think, you know, he should get respected for what he did in his time. I'm just going to go off this. Russell Westbrook is 134 and 45 in, with his triple doubles. So a lot of people like to say he's a stat patter. He likes to go out there and just look for the triple double, whatever it may be. His winning record says otherwise. Now that's crazy. Now then we go to the playoff record. He's five and five when he records the triple double in the playoffs. Um, his, his career averages in the playoffs is 24, seven and seven. He played 106 games. That's not bad. That's not bad for a player. Um, you know, he's averaged a triple double for four years. We all know that. He's averaged years where he had 28 points. He's had 31 points and 27 points per game for a season. So it's not like he can't shoot. Everyone calls him Westbrook and all these other names that they put out there. He can shoot the ball. It's just not an efficient clip that we like to see the high-end point guards of the league do it, as Damian Lillard does, and so is Steph Curry. Um, he shoots 44% for his career on 19 attempts. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. He's a nine-time All-Star. He's an MVP. He's only 32 years old. That, for me, only? right? If you're looking at the way they age, I'll give him about another three more years where he could probably produce at this rate. Not at a triple-double rate, but he's going to produce for another three years, I would say. I would say 35, 36 is where most prime players decline, unless you're LeBron James, where we've seen him continue to excel. Um, but he's a player that, at the end of the day, he's going to be great in terms of all time. Well, people are telling them, telling me and telling Riv on Twitter that he's above Stephen Curry, <laughs> a multiple-time champion, MVP, Last all week. the other store, the best shooter ever. Um, it's, it's ridiculous at this point. But at the end of the day, you have to give the flowers while they're here, and I believe Russell Westbrook is one of the best point cards to ever play the game. And, and I mean, just to piggyback off what you said, I mean, Charles Barkley led a team to the finals, though. People like, forget that, though. Westbrook never did it. Like, Westbrook has been out of the first round. And listen, I'll say that, yeah, what Westbrook is doing is phenomenal. Now, I definitely do appreciate what he's doing and, you know, how he's doing it. But we got to be real. I mean, when he stacks up against other great players or even playoff series where he's been favored, he has not come out on top on those playoff series. I don't think it's, you know out of the realm that we criticize this dude because we expect more of him. Like we, I expected you to get out of the first round against Utah when you had Paul George and Carmelo. I expected you to win against Portland when you faced them. Cause you guys yep. were one of the best teams of that year. They were being talked about as a dark horse to go to the finals. Yep. So I expect you to win those series. So I don't think this is, this is where it gets tricky because people think that because you criticize a player, all of a sudden you you all of you you hate him you know it's not that's not the case the case is that 
when we're talking about legacies, when, when we're comparing players, Westbrook's just doesn't stack up with other players because they have done more. Well, let me ask you a question then. We praise Chris Paul. How much more has he done than Westbrook? That's a really good question. That's a good question. We know because we put Chris Paul in the stratosphere. I think you once told me he was a top three point guard. I'll say, I'll say this. So I'll what, say, what has I'll he done this. more? I'll legacy wise, just legacy wise. Chris Paul, you put him on a team <laughs> and he raises the ceiling of that team. Okay. Prime example, the Rockets. Almost beating one of the greatest teams to ever be assembled in, in the Warriors with James Harden. Okay. Westbrook on that same team is not doing that. But Westbrook has been to a finals as the number two. Chris Paul has not been to a finals as the number two or the number one. I mean, KD was just so damn down. Uh, uh, come that, on. Come I know on. Westbrook was amazing, but Harden was amazing in that run as well. Westbrook had a 40-point game in the finals. Westbrook performed. They lost for one now. Westbrook is an MVP. You know, that's, I'm just actually, I'm not saying Westbrook. I think Chris Paul is better than Russell Westbrook. No, I, I said this though. I said this too to your point. I, I've said this before. I've said that. Westbrook right now has an opportunity because, I mean, I did criticize him when he wanted to go to Washington because, bro, like, trying to go win. Why do you want to go to Washington? (laughs) But I I said this on a podcast when you were here in Jack was as well. I said that Russ Westbrook has a chance to kind of change the narrative around his legacy the same way Chris Paul did. Mm -hmm. Chris Paul was known as a playoff choker and an underachiever until he got to Houston and got them to the WCF along with James Harden and played well in the playoffs. But I think where the narrative really started to change around Chris Paul was when he went to OKC and they made the playoffs. And a lot of those young younger dudes developed really nicely. And now he's doing the same thing in Phoenix. So I said if Westbrook right now can you know go on a stretch where the Wizards go to the playoffs, he takes them to the playoffs, He those young players do develop, then... This is the chance for the narrative to be rewritten about him, but he's not at that stage yet because the Wizards have not made the playoffs yet. We still have to see if they do that, and we still have to see what happens next year if he can take them to the playoffs again. Like Chris Paul, everywhere he's been, you can see a common denominator. They have won. Maybe they have not won the, the championship, yeah. but they have at, they have not underachieved to the level that Westbrook has underachieved in the playoffs, and I think that is the most important thing that we're talking about here. No, I agree. I agree. And another thing is that a lot of people like to bring accolades into it, uh, championships. That's probably the main argument that you could make for Westbrook with Chris Paul. But I don't, I don't see how, if you really watch basketball, you could put Westbrook in front of Chris Paul in terms of legacy. I think we just forget that they played each other. And I remember that series very vividly when Chris Paul choked and they were up 2-1, and they blew it to Kevin Durant and Wes Westbrook. I think people would vividly just put Chris Paul in front of Westbrook as if he'd done so much more. Yeah. We're just talking legacy. And I'd be looking at Westbrook's career like, I don't know. Westbrook yeah. looks like he's, you know, they're all kind of on the same level. But I agree with you in terms of, like, being a floor raiser and that just looking at it from a player aspect, I agree. Chris Paul is yeah, that's what a, I little, well. a, a, a level above Russell Westbrook in that aspect. Mm-hmm. And I also think that players, they, they, they get to a certain point where fans do start to appreciate them because they know that their time is almost up in the league. The perfect example is Carmelo. I mean, three years ago, Carmelo was b- being called washed and he couldn't play in a ball hog and all this stuff. And there are still some people that say the same things. But now we see everybody's praising Carmelo's career 
like dudes weren't just bashing him five years ago, especially Knicks fans. Knicks fans were bashing him to death when in his time in New York before that ended. So, and now every Knicks fan appreciates that time, that one great year with Melo. But, you know, the same things happens. Chris Paul getting older. Now we're appreciating him more. Um, so the only guy who didn't get that was like Paul Pierce. But like, you know, we'll see if Westbrook, I think Westbrook has been great enough to this point to, to get that type of recognition and to get like a sort of like a farewell tour, you know, once he decides to ultimately hang it up. I don't think people who don't win get farewell tours. I don't know. Look, look I think guys. we're I think we're in such a great era though that are we going to really give? I mean, you play? look you look at the guys who got a farewell tour. Kobe got one. D Wade barely got one. You think Carmelo will? I think he will. D Wade got one. D Wade. I, I don't think he got D-Wade, one. Like D-Wade's, I think he got one every every Vince home Carter game. Even got one. It was just not as it was. That's not what I'm saying. It wasn't like like plus those, you gotta you gotta also take into account that some players do not announce that they're retiring. That's true. At the beginning of the season, Kobe yeah. did. You know. So, like Tim Duncan didn't announce he was retiring. He just played and then said, I'm out. <laughs> well, so nobody expect, knew. No one expected different from Tim yeah, Duncan. Yeah, so nobody knew. But like if, if Carmelo says, I'm retiring this year, he will definitely get a farewell tour. Oh, I hope you enjoy that farewell tour. I, I will. I'll go to, I go. I was there for Vince Carter's farewell to the Knicks. For real? At, the, at MSG, yeah. Good. It was loud. They, they was appreciating him. I'll tell you that for sure. Yeah, of course, Vince Carter's loved. And Carmelo yeah. Anthony has had a better career than him. He has. I, mean, I didn't say anything. I didn't, but the <laughs> I didn't face you made, you made it seem like I'm, I'm biased. He was going to say something. No, no, That's bi- why I was like, and no, no, I'm biased. I'm biased. Yeah, well, both of them are not winners. So huh? I don't care. There yeah. are five NBA coaches on the hot seat right now. Uh, a report on the Athletic came out, and they talked about this. Shams talked about this. Terry Stotts with the Blazers. Nate Bjorkren with the Pacers. Mike Budenholzer is also on the hot seat with the Bucks. Scott Brooks is on a hot seat with the Wizards and Luke Walton with the Kings. So honestly, looking at this list, I think most of these guys are going to be fired. You know, like I think Terry Stotts is gone. I think uh, Scott Brooks is gone. It really depends. I, I think it would I think be if they sh- get in. He yeah. won't be. Gone. It would be a so. shame if he's not gone, though, because I think he should go. Mm. But Luke Walton, oh, he's, gonna, he's, he's gone. He's Nate Bjorkren, I mean. This guy, Nate Bjorkman, his assistant fought uh, Goga Bataze. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Yeah. They're about to miss the playoffs after making it last year. TJ Warren actually requested a trade before the start of of this past season mm-hmm. when they did not hire Nate McMillan uh, back. And the players have said they don't like this guy because he's analytics-based and he's a hard-nosed style coach. So he's like a Nick Nurse, but with that's full-on analytics. Mm-hmm. Which is a weird combination because usually analytics are kind of they have like like a Brad Stevens like a soft spot in their hearts and you know they can connect with people well, but this guy's just like a hard ass and he's <laughs> analytics based and he's trying to be this enforcer when he's like you know sounds like a geek. So obviously, I think that this guy's probably going to be gone. And Terry Stotts, I mean, it's about time, right? I mean, they have made the playoffs every year. I know that nobody's ever expected them to do more than what they've done. But I think it's about time to have a coaching change because at some point your defense has to be better. I don't think it's all about your players. I think it's about schemes sometimes. You know, I agree to an extent. I think scheme like I think some coaches can make players look better than what they look like with the proper schemes. But I also think it's about effort. You know, defensively, you gotta put in the effort for even to even beat. I don't think 
Portland has the personnel on defense to even be good. Granted, their best defender, Robert Covington, isn't even playing that great of he isn't playing that great defense this year. I mean, he's always been an overrated defender. Yeah, so it's like, you know, your best defender is overrated anyways. Your backcourt doesn't play D. It's, you know, it's 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 weird. I think Stotts, Stotts reached his peak last year. No, two years ago, pardon me, when they made the WCF. I think that was, you know, you know they had a great run. You know, they hit the big shot. Denver, they upset at Denver. They won in seven in Denver. You know, that was a great series. CJ went crazy. And then, you know, they got smoked out by Golden State. I think they reached the end of the the yeah. run for them. I think the bubble, you saw last year, Dame had to carry them to get even in. They won the little game one. You know, Dame went crazy, and then they lost four straight. And I think this year, you know, I was high on them because they got, you know, depth, and they had a deep roster. But they don't play defense. You know, they rely on scoring, and they rely on that backcourt heavily, and that team gets hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this year, whatever happens this year, whether they can make, you know, they still are one of those teams that can get hot and make a run. But whatever happens this year, they definitely need to look into a coach who's more defensive oriented. I feel like this team doesn't need an offensive coach because they have enough offense where they don't need a scheme on offense. They have Dame, they have CJ. If Melo come back, they have Melo. I think Gary, uh, they just traded Gary Trent. Wow. Norman Powell's still good. I think Anthony Simmons is getting getting his un, like getting his game under his belt. He's starting to become good. You still got Nurkic, so it's they have offense. I think they need to get a defensive minded coach that really get them into buy in and have and have a hard-nosed approach on defense. But I think this year is it's probably wraps for Terry, regardless of where they go. I think it's unfair. Well, I do think he should go, but I think it's unfair considering the year that they had this year. It was a roller coaster in a sense. But one thing about Portland that I actually was surprised about, they have the least amount of turnovers in the NBA. They don't turn the ball over. And that comes a lot with coaching, you know, committing plays that are – least like more efficient to where you are less prone to do a turnover especially with the ball handlers that you do have that are so high their offense is more high octane than others in a sense um but i think i don't think it has more with the coach i think it's just the the roster itself i don't think it's built to win a chip and a lot has to do with the fact that they haven't had enough time to mesh together i mean zach collins we haven't really seen him play with Nurkic a lot and even when we did do we really think that that's a front court that could be Reckoned with in the Western Conference, I don't think so personally. Um, so I, I believe I believe that they're gonna end up getting rid of him, where whether it's warranted or not, I believe he'll get a job somewhere else. But hit that that team didn't really get the chance to really show their full potential in the last couple of years, and that's just that just comes with the NBA injuries and in all parts. I mean, I, I think the Blazers have a good roster. You know, I don't know if it's coaching or what it is, but I their defense is horrible. You know, I don't know if it's scheme, if it's coaching. I know most of it has to do with Dame and CJ just don't play defense. And Melo, we know, doesn't play defense. And Canna, we know, doesn't play defense. <laughs> never never play defense. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I think most of it is. But, you know, I think Terry Stotts has, has reached his time with the Blazers. I think it's time for them to part ways. He's been with this organization long enough to where he hasn't really succeeded. And that's why. But I'm afraid that this might have a ripple effect. This might have an effect to where Terry Stotts goes, and it's kind of like the Pacers with Nate McMillan. Now they're not a team even in the playoffs because the new coach comes in and nobody's vibing with him. So it, it could go that way, or the Blazers front office decides to just completely tear it all apart and start trading CJ and these guys. So we don't know what direction they're going to head in. I think it's time. Yeah, I think 
You, I don't like. I, I've been on the record saying this. I don't think Dame can be the best player on your team to win a chip. I don't think he's that guy. I think he can be your number two. I think in a in a league that we're in right now, you know, looking back at the last ten years, there's only been one point guard that's been the best player in the championship team. I think this is a wing dominant league. You know, it used to be a big dump, but I think they need a a dominant wing that can take some of the pressure off Dame on offense. You know, maybe like a like a Kawhi type guy. Something like that. But I think, you know, that backcourt, I think they've reached their run. You know, it's been a great run. They've gave us some great moments. But I think that team, Portland's front office should definitely think about breaking it up. And I know Dame wants to stay there for his whole life. Yeah, cool, whatever. But, like, I think in this situation, Portland has to look at it. Like, we're not going to win a chip this way. You know, we're not going to get far. This is what we reached. The West is getting better. Teams are getting better. You know, Luka is here. Lakers are going to be here. The Clippers are here. Phoenix just, they just got here. They're arriving. Utah is going to be here. Donovan's young. So it's Warriors. We don't know what they're going to do next year. They could be a top team next year, you know? So it's like the Grizzlies, they're on their way up. So the Pelicans are on their way up. So it's like you got to make a decision. With the drafts coming up, do you want to tank now, get some picks, or do you want to just keep riding this team that's already reached their peak? Yeah, I agree. And and another coach that's on the hot seat, Nate Bjorkman with the Pacers, I think – He's a one and done. He should be fired. <laughs> so I think he he should go. But a surprising one, Mike Budenholzer and the Bucks. They they have said that if they don't make a deep playoff run, he will be fired. I agree. And at this point, right now, it looks like they're they're probably going to face the Nets in the second round. Is that a deep playoff run? I don't think that's what they're expecting. I think they're thinking ECF or done. I think that's. I think they they should make that based off matchup because if you play the best team in the second round, it's not his fault. Yeah, and, and granted, I know why they're saying it. You know, they walked in as heavy favorites against Miami. They lost four one. It was pretty much an embarrassment. They blew it to Toronto and Kawhi. They was up two zero, lost four straight. That was horrible. Yeah, so it's like I I understand. You know, they they're tired of this. They have they feel like they have the team necessary to win. But I feel like, you know, playing the Nets in the second round is what we're going to see. I think it's hard to really put that on Mike Budenholzer. They're a freaking super team. They have the best shooting guard in the league, the yeah. best small forward in the league, top three, four point guard in the NBA. It's not much you can – you just pray and hope for the best. So I don't think he should get fired based off that judgment alone. I think it depends on how they lose, though. If they lose in, like, a four or five-game series, then you're looking like, all right, come on, bro. Like, we have the team to make it at least six, you know, so – it it really just depends on how they go this year, in my opinion. I think it's I just I don't think it's his fault, and I don't think it will be his fault. But at the end of the day, we've seen coaches just get fired because they feel like they need to change. When realistically, it's just sometimes in the playoffs you run into a team that's just that dominant, regardless of what your aspirations are. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it personally with Tom Coughlin. He was a great coach for the Giants for a while, and at one point, it would just we have. We have to get rid of him. We have to set a new culture for the team. And sure enough, we did. And we got, um, I don't even remember his name. He was just so bad for us. But <laughs> they, I hit, we went out and we splurged and we went to the playoffs and we got destroyed by the Packers. And it was not because the team was bad. It was just the head coach was just that bad. And I don't think cultural resets are appropriate when you're having so many players in their primes already comfortable where they're at. Uh, that's another thing with the Pacers. They're not getting any younger. A lot of their players are are getting up there in age, um, where they're reaching their prime or they're about to get past it. I mean, Carmelo's obviously already past it, but um, that like every other team in the West, like you said, they're young. They're young and they're gonna get better. They're not gonna get worse. The Pacers, um, the Portland Trailblazers are going to get worse. So they're they're more in line to have a head coaching change than I believe in the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 
it, like you said, if they do get embarrassed again in the playoffs, Budenholzer should go. I think he is a great coach. He has shown that he can achieve a lot with, with talent that doesn't seem to be the best, right? I mean, with the Hawks winning 60 games with that team is, is crazy. But, you know, Budenholzer, I think, is the only guy out of these out of these five coaches that probably will be the coach next year. But Scott Brooks, like, I think it's his time to go. Like, I, I never thought he was a good coach back in his OKC days, mm. you know? So I think the Wizards need a change of scenery. Scott Brooks has always been a guy who's just going to give the ball to his best player and, you know, have them create offense. He's not an X's and O's guy. And then Luke Walton with the Kings, I mean, he probably should have never been hired in the first place, right? Oh, no, he he flopped in L.A. I think it's just, I think the Kings just thought, because he was young, they were young, thought it would mesh, but... It, it's not. It's not working. Luke Walken is just. He's just a horrible. Coach. I think Sacramento needs a new owner. That's. I think that's what it is. Bro, that, I think yeah. that was the owner that said Buddy Hill is what. Yeah. Would, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was yeah, that guy. Yeah. Whatever right? you're. Yeah. yeah it was that guy. Okay. Yeah. Now nah, Luke Walton is terrible. You know he doesn't know what he's doing in the X's and O's. He doesn't know how to scheme. He doesn't know how to game plan. He doesn't know how to substitute. He's just really bad in all categories yeah. of coaching. It's really embarrassing. The only thing that's good for him, he's young. He's a really young coach. I mean he. You know, he coached for the Warriors, but it wasn't hard. Yeah. You know, you had Steph, Katie, and them. It's not hard. So Sacramento's just, it's just one of those things. Like, remember, Bookie Cousin went at it with the owner at one point, too. Like, it's just that organization until they have a change. Very toxic. It's, yeah, it's such a bad environment. And yeah, you haven't seen a free and, agent and, say, yeah, I want to go there. And that team, you know, they the last five, six drafts, the most they've got out of it is De'Aaron, De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. And Tyrese Halliburton is this year. Yeah, this year. So Marvin Bagley's no good. Buddy Hill, we know what he is. He's whatever. You know, good shooter, good player. We but knew what he was going to be. Yeah, so out. it's like they need a whole everything, not just the coach. I think Divock is their GM, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. He has to Our go. Our president yeah. of basketball operations yeah, he, one of those. Yeah, everybody has to go for them, honestly. Yeah, so we'll see which one of those coaches gets fired. And now we're going to talk about a young up-and-coming player in the NBA. <laughs> this boy. is MPJ Michael Porter oh, Jr. Oh, my boy. I thought John Morant was coming up. That's why. You know, we'll talk about him next. John Morant's <laughs> name is Demetrius. I'm on him. <laughs> Michael Porter Jr. to me has been balling. I mean, since Jamal Murray has been sidelined with his injury, MPJ has stepped up. I mean, this is a, he right now he's averaging uh, 23 points per game and seven rebounds per game in Jamal Murray's absence. This season, he's averaging 19 points per game, seven rebounds, shooting 54% from the field and 44% from three. And that's a massive jump from last year where he averaged nine points and he shot 51% from the field and 42% from the three. So the points have jumped, but his efficiency has pretty much stayed the same. Number one ranked recruit out of high school. He dropped in the draft because of his back injury, even though Tracy McGrady said that he played with the same injury and it did not bother him whatsoever. And he was fine. I think he's a superstar. I got not right now, but I think he's a future superstar. I'll say this: his floor is is Memphis Grizzlies Rudy Gay. No, better. That's his floor. No, so definitely better. You don't think his floor is twenty points per game? That means the worst he's going to be is twenty points. I think Rudy Gay was a twenty points per game inefficient guy, though. I think. I yeah, think, and he Memphis, just went out there no. and shot. Not inefficient, but I think he was just like, he was just going out there. He wasn't really going out there to win. He was just going so out there. So you're telling shot. me if MPJ was placed in those situations with Toronto and with Sacramento, it wouldn't be the same result? No. Gives me Joe Johnson vibes. Yeah, he's, nah. He gives me Joe. I think, he, I think his floor is better than Rudy Gay. Uh, his, 
having a floor where you're averaging 20 points per game. No, no, his floor for Rudy Gay is pretty good. Yeah, NBA yeah, a floor. <laughs> yeah, that's a floor, bro. I was I wasn't high. On, I think I think Michael Porter Jr.'s floor is like an all star, like a consistent all star. Joe Johnson. I'm trying. I'm trying to put in, that in, in, in that in that type of form. Like I think I think like I think Denver has the opportunity here. You know, and I hope they don't mess up like OKC messed up. I think they have kind of like a Golden State opportunity. They drafted. All three of their oh, guys: yeah. so Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Nikola. I, don't, I think it was like a trade on draft day, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Same Second thing. round pick. Yeah, sec, same thing. I think they have a very important. They have a Golden State way of they can move this. Nikola, he's arrived. He's here. He's gonna be here. Jamal Murray, he was arriving. He's still. I think he's the way he plays. He'll be fine from the injury. I think, but I think Michael Porter Jr. making that next leap up. I think that's what they need mm-hmm. to really be a championship team because. In a league with Kawhi, LeBron, Kevin Durant, you know, Paul George, Giannis, you need a wing that's going to give them buckets on that. And I think Michael Porter Jr. is that guy. And him, I think he can reach, be a superstar. I think in about two years he'll be it. I said this on draft day when he got drafted, he'll be better than Ben Simmons. I said that mad early. People jumped on me for that. Now we're here. I think he can definitely be a superstar in the next two years. And I think that's what Denver needs to really be a championship. I don't think, sorry, I know you're high in Jamal Murray. I don't think. Those two are enough. I think Michael Porter Jr. is sending to that second guy. It's mm-hmm. really going to put them in the championship window, in my opinion. If I'm not mistaken, you you said that Porter Jr. was Wesley Johnson. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm not even acknowledging that. That's horrible. That. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> I didn't even finish what I was going to say. I'm sorry. His floor was Rudy Gay, but his <laughs> ceiling is like a KD type of superstar. Yet I think it is. His ceiling, his ultimate ceiling, when you look at their play styles, a 6'10", a 6'10", forward who can shoot, who can handle the ball, who can get to his spot on the floor. I mean, this guy's 21 years old. You do know KD walked in at 19, like just dominating the league, right? Yeah, he's 22. KD walked in averaging 20. I mean, yeah, I mean, but I think his ceiling, it's not crazy to say MPJ can be a top 10 player. Okay. I'm, uh, that's respectable. Yeah, I don't think it's his KD's ceiling could be that. Three, though. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> like KD's that, that ceiling's a really tall ceiling. That's, that's tough one to achieve. Yeah. I mean, I I think he. I would have gave him Melo. I think that's his. No, I don't think so. Mm. I think his. Play, I think his maximum ceiling can be like KD. He, type he could player. be better than Melo. Hundred percent. We talking about KD here? And no, but I don't think he's getting. I don't know where he got that from. I don't think he's gonna get to KD's level. I mean, even a pl- I think just. MPJ's play style also was very reminiscent, more of KD than of Melo. He's streaky, though. I mean, KD will, at the times, he'll just go to the basket. Michael Porter Jr. is going to continue to shoot that three until it falls. Yeah, he's shooting 44% think, right I now. I think that's more coaching than anything, though. I think that's the coach's uh, scheme and game plan. I don't think he's at that level yet to attack the basket and be that guy. I think that's going to come more with confidence and mm-hmm. you know experience in the league. I see what you're saying, though. I I I, I, I could rock with you on that. So with, without Murray, they're 13 and five right now. They're eight and two in their last ten. Yeah, but they still have a good team. I mean, Monte Morris is good, even though he's been out of the lineup as well. Will Barton is good. PJ Dozier. I mean, Aaron Gordon. That was a huge pickup. <laughs> I, I know you guys. I know name. you guys are waiting for me to say Facundo Campazzo. He's waiting. I mean, Com- <laughs> Campazzo has been good as well for them. You know, it's Michael Green. Millsap is finally showing his age. He doesn't look. I was just about to say that. He has to go. You know, he looks like (laughs) he looks like a different, completely different player. But I think the the acquisition of Austin Rivers was huge. I mean, he was a Knicks legend. He did a lot for the city. He he 
dominated Utah. Hundred percent. So That's I think it. you know him going to Denver. I think that was a huge acquisition. This guy who could play defense and hit some open shots and create something sometimes. So how far do you have them going? If you're doing all this talking, without it's Jamal? tough. I mean, look, it. it I definitely Let's say have season them, ends today. I definitely have them going out of the first round. I definitely have them making the second round, and it really is all on MPJ and the leap he's going to take in the playoffs because I know Jokic is going to do his thing. But if the Nuggets, let's say, face Phoenix and Phoenix is in the second round, I think Denver can beat Phoenix because I believe that MPJ can have just as good as of a series as Devin Booker. I mean, MPJ, I think, can really ascend. I mean, I think this playoffs right here is really might be the beginning of MPJ and how we view him. I mean, he can have a playoffs where he's averaging 28, looks like a, a star, and we're like, wow. Yeah. Like, I think this can be that for him, this playoff run right here. I'm not saying their ceiling is going to the championship because I think I think their title hopes left when Jamal Murray got injured. You know, when Jamal Murray was healthy, I said it on the podcast. I said, they're my dark horse to to, to make the finals if the Lakers are not fully healthy. I said the same They're thing. my dark horse. But because of Jamal Murray's injury, you know, I know you're not that high on Jamal Murray, but I'm really high on him, and I thought – that was such a major loss. So I think their ceiling now is WCF, really, but it depends on matchups a lot. But I like realistically, I just see them going to the second round and then being out the playoffs. I'll tell you right now, if the season ended today, the Nuggets will play the Lakers in the first round. Oh, yeah. Well, that changes bad. everything. Well, if the Lakers, if LeBron yeah, is if LeBron not, isn't what yeah. he is, then I can LeBron's supposed to be back next week. Oh, there, according to the reports, there goes that. But they have been looking bad though. Yeah. yeah. Well, honestly, I mean, they just played. Uh, they just played. Yeah. The Lakers in Denver. They just played. That game was horrible, but it was fun. It was no, I can't believe I watched that. that. Yeah, it was horrible. Too. Yeah. So you said WCF ceiling. I agree. Depending With this on the group, matchups. yes. Depending, Depending on, on matchups, matchups. Yeah, yes. I go off matchups. But if they right. if they face the Lakers, that'll be tough though. Playoff. I think LeBron. if they, I think anybody plays the Lakers, it'd be tough. Yeah. I mean, I think if the Clippers face them in the first round, the Clippers will win. Right now? In the first round, yeah. Oh, the Clippers will beat the, the Lakers regardless of when they play them. That's just my my view on the Clippers. Oh, oh that's crazy. <laughs> I don't that's, think that's crazy. I, I, I just... I, I, I wouldn't put my money against LeBron, but I, if the Clippers win, it's lit. Huh? It's lit. But I think Denver right now has, is in a tricky situation. I would want to take the Phoenix route. I don't think they want to see Utah right now without Jamal Murray. Like I think that was one of the reasons they came back three one. Jamal Murray was button heads with Donovan Mitchell. I don't think they have. I don't. I wouldn't want to see Utah right now. I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not sold on Dallas right now. I think Denver could beat Dallas. I think Denver could beat Portland right now. Easily. And Memphis. Memphis. Yeah, pretty easily. Go to state. Mm. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, no, nah, they'll probably be probably going to state. It'll be probably like six games. Don't be surprised though. That could be an upset. Don't be, don't be, don't be surprised. Draymond lock up. We got stuff. Who Draymond gonna lock up? The Joker. It's no way. Yeah. It's no chance that happens. It's okay. Who's gonna lock up stuff? Facundo. You're <laughs> <laughs> not worried about that guy. He, he got three steals on stuff. Yeah, DJ Dozier. Who? He kills him. <laughs> he kills him. Now, but y'all think Michael Porter Jr. has a chance to be a, a star player? We'll see. What he ends up being, though, but I think, like you said, Denver has a great opportunity to really build something. I mean, they're excellent at drafting; they really are. And you were on the 
the ship about firing Mike Malone. Look at that. I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I had good reasoning for it, though. Yeah. I look mean, at, they look were how down, that just flipped, huh? Yeah, yeah. Last year, I said they should fire Mike Malone because they were down 3-1 against the Utah Jazz without Bogdanovich, and I thought they should have never been down <laughs> 3-1 in the first place. Yeah, look how that just flipped around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, now he deserves a job because they, they came back twice two three against for two three ones you know against the clippers and the jazz so obviously that's it's different now but if they would have lost four one to the jazz in the first round with without bogdanovich yeah i would have fired him <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to talk about your guy riff my boy john ja morant big job um, demetrius so Delusional. demetrius that's his name demetrius no, his name is actually demetrius demetrius yeah. with I'm the tell you right now. tree yeah Demetrius Jamel Morant. Okay. So, Demetrius. Don't do that. Call him Jamal on here. I'm just telling you that's what his name okay. is. Okay. Demetrius recently <laughs> went on Inside the NBA on TNT. And, you know, I don't know who asked him the question. It could have been Shaq or D-Wade. It was one of those guys or, you know, um, Adam Lefko. And they asked him, does he believe he's a top five point guard or where he thinks he ranks amongst the point guards? And John Morant said, I'm a top five point guard. And Dwayne Wade quickly said, oh, I love that. I like that. He says that for everything. Yeah. Oh, I love that, man. <laughs> so, so John Moran thinks he's a top five point guard. He called himself a top five point guard. He's averaging 19, four and seven this season, shooting 45% from the field and 30% from three. So not so great from the three. He's only 21 years old, though. I mean, is he a top five point guard? Does he does he warrant that status of calling himself a top five point guard? Nah, he's not. He's yeah, was, <laughs> he's not a top five point guard. But I do love the confidence. You know, the fact that he said that on I I, I watched it. He said it actually pretty quick, like with the swiftness. Like he said, "Yeah, I'm top five. I, I we we've watched John Morant since Murray State. We know his confidence. He doesn't care. He believes he's one of the best. He believed he was one of the best walking in." I love the confidence. It's good for that organization. It's good that he feels like he has that chip on his shoulder, and it's good because he's the leader of that team. But no, he's not top five. I, you know, you can even argue him out the top ten right now. John Moran hasn't made a big improvement this year. The improvement I thought he was going to make, granted, the team is pretty deep. You know, it has a lot of good players in that team, but John Moran hasn't made the proper improvement. You know, he's still that guy that's going to attack you at the rim. He's improved a little bit on his playmaking. He's he's actually put in effort on defense this year. But he's not made that jump improvement that I thought he was going to make. You know, still 19-7-4 is still good, but it's not top five. It's barely top ten. There's a lot of point guards you can name better than him. But I do love the confidence. I'm just going to honestly attack John Morant right now. Don't um, say nothing dumb. He is ninth in defensive rating this year. He's 14th minutes per game. He's 12th in points per game. Oh, all this is by point guards. Oh, alone. okay. This is just point guards alone. 12th okay. in points per game. 14th in rebounds. Sixth in assists. That's his highest accolade right there ninth in defensive rating that's tough huh that's ninth. not bad yeah, yeah not, not bad but not top five worthy right. um he's 17th in steals right. he's 15th in blocks he's fifth in turnovers which is the only top five thing that he has going for um he's 11th in field goal percentage he's 21st in three-point percentage and he's tied with ben simmons for 30 percent on the year um, whatever you want to do with that. And he's 11th and plus minus. Ben Simmons took 10 threes. So yeah, don't, don't even do that. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just, it was just more of a jab yeah. than anything else. Um, But that being said, I just don't, anybody who even mentions that it's possible, it's not possible. I don't think he's close. I don't think he's top seven, eight. He's 
borderline top ten. Can maybe. you name me ten certified point guards better? I say he's top. I say he's top nine, top ten. Oh, okay. I say he's not seven or eight. Uh, but just going off those numbers alone and the season that he's had, he also had that angle injury against Brooklyn <laughs> that kind of sidelined him for a little bit. Um, but he's he's come. He's gonna be there soon. He's gonna be a top five point guard soon for sure. But as of right now, there's there's no way. Some things are left better unsaid. This is one of those things. Some things are better left unsaid. Yes. Because he said he was a top five point guard. He's not a top five point guard. Probably should have never said it because although, you know, people were going to say you love the confidence, of course, everybody should think that way. But not everybody should say it. And this is one of those situations that he probably should have never said it because then people like us are going to come on a podcast and talk about why he's not a top five he point guard it. because he's definitely not a top five point guard. I mean, Steph, Dame, Kyrie, Trey, Westbrook, Chris Paul. That's six right there. I could have just stopped that five, but I named six. Are we classifying Luka as a point guard? I don't even know. Yeah, are we? Like, I would, most people do. So right, if so we yeah, class, he's, he's seven, right? That's seven right there. And then is De'Aaron Fox better than John Morant? No. If you're no, saying no, no that's no. really biased. I don't know. I, don't, I like De'Aaron Fox, Fox is, is averaging good. 25 points on per a game. bad day. Sucks. So you're saying if you if you swap De'Aaron Fox on the Grizzlies right now, they'd be winning they, as much as John. Yes, what Come do you on. mean as much as Memphis? Come on, bro. If John Morant on the Kings. Nobody would know about him. He would put up 25. He would do the no, same thing the Aaron Fox He would do the same thing Fox does. Maybe 23, not 25. <laughs> oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> now, look, this is the thing. Darren Fox on the Grizzlies, I think. Wait, Ben Simmons? They become just as good. I don't think Ben Simmons is better. Okay. That's me personally. Oh, I love that. Okay, but look. Darren Fox on the Grizzlies, if we put Darren Fox on the Grizzlies and replace John Morant, De'Aaron Fox, for one, can shoot better than John Morant, which is something that to this point has plagued him and might plague him for his career. I think De'Aaron Fox drives to the basket better. He's faster, and he doesn't play out of control like John Morant. John Morant plays out of control. Look, I know that he he gets some great numbers sometimes, most of the time for that for that fact, but I don't like the way he does it in. I just don't. It looks sloppy. It looks like a, a knockoff of Derrick Rose. It just doesn't look. It just doesn't look fluid. De'Aaron Fox to me is fluid. And then, okay, right now there are a lot of great older point guards: Steph, Dame, you know, Westbrook, Chris Paul. He up next. Let's just talk about the younger point guards. Is he even top five within the younger point guards? Who we consider? Trey Young. Trey Young is better. Luca. Better. De'Aaron Fox. Debatable. Kyrie. Kyrie's not, young, not young, but Kyrie, Kyrie is really entering his prime right now, though. Okay, like fine. Kyrie I thought we were talking, about, we talking about the ascending guys, the young, young guys. No, Ky- Kyrie's like young. in the middle for me. He's in the middle. He's he he's on the older side, but also couldn't be classified right, as young. I'll put the young ones last seven like drafts. five, in six years older okay, than the guys are named. Jamal Murray. Jamal's better than him right now. Okay. That's four right there with Trey, Luca, Fox, and Murray. I said Fox was debatable. Take him out. Okay. That's <laughs> I need I need five confirmed. I need five confirmed. Colin Sexton? He's not a point guard. And hell no. You think he's more of a two? Yeah, he, yeah he's okay. Garland's no, the one. I understand yeah. that. I understand yeah. that. Oh is it crazy to say Darius Garland can be better? It's not. He, he's been balling. It's not crazy. He's to been say. balling. What about Kate Cunningham when he comes into the league? I know Yo, he hasn't I, touched he's the not league here, yet. He's not here yet. He's not here yet. He, not here he yet. hasn't touched the league yet, but when he Come comes on. into the league, he John Murray might not even be top five between the young point guards. He's top five. And we talking about Trey, Luca, Fox, Murray, Garland, Sexton, no, and Sexton, Cade. No. You're not giving me Garland. I'm not giving you Garland. No, 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 not right now. I understand, but like 
these are all guys that can be better than Ja or it will be debatable at least. You know, Ja can also be better than everybody you just named. Outside of Luca and Trey, I agree. Oh, I forgot yeah, about Luca. Luca. Trey, yeah. he can be better than Trey. He will not be better than Trey. He can be better than Trey. He's ice Trey, man. Trey's just a knockoff Steph Curry. Yeah, that's a pretty good knockoff. I'd love you, to be a knockoff. You're telling me Ja Morant can't put up 25 and 10? Ja could definitely do that. Yeah, I'm not saying he can't, but and also I think he could do it as efficient as Trey. Trey ain't efficient, huh? Trey, Trey, because Trey. he does, he he shoots from half court. Whose fault is that? Huh? I, I don't know, bro. <laughs> I don't know what he thinks he is. But, but Trey, but Trey also is putting up these numbers on a winning team now. What's his record? Because the Grizzlies have 33 wins. I swear to God, you say they have what, like two or three more wins? I could search with the record right now. Search with the record right now, man. You just got me mad. You said Grizzlies have 33 wins. Hawks have 37. Okay. Yeah, they have 37. They have four more wins. Okay. I mean, the Hawks in the West would be the sixth seed. You can't flip that because they would have to play more West teams than East. Can't do it like that. Still. They would still be. And I think the, the Grizzlies probably have more depth than the Hawks. Especially with the Hawks injuries. Yeah. Grizzlies have a better roster. Debatable. Trey Young is better than Ja. I, just, I said he was. Yeah, he I, is. I said he was. I'm saying Ja could be better than Trey, bro. I mean, they're the same age. I mean, you know. If we're going by trajectory, it's still going to be Trey. We'll but I'm just saying, even amongst young, a young point guards, Ja is like he's he's there, but he could easily not be there either. So look, I, look, like I said, I, I love the confidence, but he's just not a top five point guard right now. He is the future of the Memphis Grizzlies, but I think the Grizzlies ultimately will go as far as Jaron Jackson Jr. takes them, quite honestly. And I think. The That's only the wild. only way the Grizzlies can be a viable threat in the West, I've never heard somebody is that if was crazy is <laughs> if Jaron Jackson takes that humongous leap and is an All Star like player. But if he does and John Moran doesn't take the superstar leap, it's over. But I think, like, you, what did you say earlier? It's a wing dominated league. Ja, ja, uh, Jackson isn't a wing; in, he's a forward, though. And I think forwards dominate the league more than guards. Yeah, but the way he plays, I don't. He's like kind of like a. Um, He's like a power forward, but like a traditional one. He kind of. I mean, moves. I think he can. He can stretch the floor. He's an elite oh, yeah, defender. But he's more of a four-five than a four-three. You know what I I'm mean, saying? He's yeah, an elite he's defender. I, I just think that, of course, You're ridiculous. We, I think we know what Ja's going to be. He's going to be an all-star point guard. You know, every other year, maybe year in and year out, he's going to be a phenomenal player. But I think in order for Memphis to be taken seriously as like, oh, they're like Denver now, or. They're they're like a top team in the West. Jaron Jackson Jr. has to take that leap. Like he has to be that guy. That's just me. That's what that's just what I feel personally. Like Jot has to average like twenty two and nine, and Jaron Jackson has to average like twenty five and ten. That's what I think it has to be. That's what I think the dynamic has to be. No, you're ridiculous. Quite frankly, that's what I think it has to be. If, if he does not develop into that, then the Memphis Grizzlies will always just be there, like the mm. eighth playing seed team. That's really that's what they're gonna be. I don't see them ever developing into a championship team. Nah, it's Memphis. You never know yeah. though, but it's Memphis. Like you know, this is year this is year two. You know, fighting for a playoff spot. You know, a lot of young guys you just named struggled their first year to, to fight for a playoff spot. But he's you know he's the consistency is there. You know, you see the impact he has when he's on the court. You see how good the team is with him on the court. So you know, the chemistry is there, the cognitivity is there. So they're gonna have to grow, but. Yeah. When they got John Morant, you know, they have they have been better. You know, they have been fighting for a playoff spot back-to-back years. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they get in this year. They've been in the hunt in a very tough West. This is not yeah. any, This is not a cakewalk. This is a very tough West, and they've 
you know, he's put on performances against a lot of the top point guards in the NBA. So it's not like he doesn't have the talent. But like you say, he's not he's not there yet. He's got to get there yet. But that De'Aaron Fox take was terrible. Hold on. Shout out Valanciunas. He's been balling. Nah, he's really good, yeah, too. Yeah, he's it been looks balling. looks like you. Huh? It looks like What you look like? <laughs> and De'Aaron Fox take is not terrible. I didn't say you. No, yeah. I said the take was terrible. The take was utterly now, terrible. No, De'Aaron Fox on the Grizzlies would, would win. I mean, he he would win, too. Think so. You don't think Fox is a winner? I think he has win in his blood. How? I just think so. I just he's <laughs> won anywhere. He's won everywhere he's been outside of Sacramento. Kentucky didn't win when he was there. They won more they than lost. they did in Sacramento. That's true. It's not that hard. Now, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. De'Aaron Fox is sleeping on him, man. He's a killer. Hmm. He's a killer. But we'll ask. The, we'll ask the audience that question when we put out the segment. Who do you guys think is better, De'Aaron Fox or John Morant? Put it down in the comments down below. Well, we'll see what they say. You know, John Moran, I know, has a hype around his name, but we'll see. I was gonna we'll say, see what happens. John's the highlight reel, so. I mean, real basketball fans, answer that question. Shifting to the NFL. We're done for the NBA talk for the day. Uh, the NFL draft happened, and we're going to go over which teams had the best draft and which team had the worst draft. Each of us are going to name one team in specific that we feel like had the best draft, so we're going to start off with the best and go from the worst. So, Riv, tell me your team. Which team had the best draft in your opinion? I got to go last. My thing and load up. You're thinking a load up? Okay. Yeah. i go. I okay, you can go up. first. i go. Um, first and foremost, for a lot of people that don't know, I am a Giants fan. And you should have never told the media that. Don't worry about everything. <laughs> um, I believe that we had a great draft. Well, I don't think it was the best draft out of the whole entire league. We had an amazing draft. That trade down was huge. Grabbing the Chicago pick, which could very well be a top 10 pick, it's great. Um, so that's that's very well vested into my decision to put them close to, to the, one of the best drafts, especially with Tony. Tony's a beast. Uh, anyways, back to the main point. The best draft was the Jets. I'll just say it first and foremost. I despise them. They're a little bro to the Giants. That's just the way it goes. Um, but their draft was just they it was amazing. They they got they grabbed who they wanted in a sense and they did it without any there was no there was no friction and every pick just landed towards them in a sense. Like Elijah Moore grabbing him when he they got him. Michael Carter is a stud. He's a stud. A lot of people didn't watch UNC and if you did, you know next year Sam Howell's gonna be an amazing quarterback. Um but going back to it, Michael Carter's amazing. Vera Tucker that was that was a great pickup, and that's going to solidify the future for their for their offensive line, especially uh, with Beekton there. And they're they're going to be they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in a couple of years. I don't think this year is going to be the year where they're just going to jump into the playoffs right away. If they do, then props to them. They have the pieces. I don't think they're going to just fall into place just yet. Um, but their draft was just phenomenal. I mean, you go down the list; they grabbed two safeties that I believe Sherwood and Carter that were great. Um, uh, Ecolis, the cornerback from Kentucky, was great value from when you guys grabbed him. Uh, Nazaruddin, I don't want to mess his name up, from Florida State was also great. It was just an overall great draft, and you addressed offense, which was much needed. I mean, after watching what the Raiders did to you guys in that game, and it wasn't really supposed to happen, but it happened. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of holes that you guys filled, and that, w- that was just quintessential. You know, for me, I think... This was hard to pick because three three of these teams had similar drafts to me in terms of how good it was. I did not go with the Jets. 
I'm, I'm not going to be a homer on this episode, even though I think we did have a great draft. But the Vikings, to me, had a great draft. You know, drafting Christian Darisol in the with the 23rd pick, then getting Kellen Mond, who I'm really high on, Wyatt Davis, a starting guard in this league, and Patrick Jones the second, who I think can be a really good edge rusher for them if developed correctly. But then you have the Bears. I mean, the Bears drafting Justin Fields, who I'm not the highest on, but you know he is in a good situation to develop. Then Tevin Jenkins, who's going to be a starting left tackle, plays really physical. He's great. Daz Newsome, wide receiver from North Carolina, played alongside Diami Brown. Then Larry Burham, who he fell to the Bears in the fifth round, I believe. And this guy had the lowest uh, pressure percentage out of every single tackle in the draft. And Khalil Herbert, running back out of Virginia Tech. I mean, the Bears had a phenomenal draft, but also the Chargers. Like, Rashawn Slater getting Justin Herbert's tackle for the future and Slater. Then Asante Samuel Jr., who is a perfect scheme fit for Brandon Staley's defense. Like, I think... And these three teams had had great, phenomenal drafts. Like, I think they're cream of the crop in terms of how they drafted. I would probably give the edge to the Bears, honestly. Yes, because I think the Bears getting Tevin. Like, the Bears at every single pick they got these guys at. Like, Tevin Jenkins, a first-round talent. Justin Fields could have easily went top five. Then we look at Khalil Herbert, who can be a really solid back. Daz Newsome and Larry Burham. Like, I think... The, realistically, these guys are like five starters that yeah. they got. Like, I think the Vikings also did well with Darisol, Maude, and Wyatt Davis. But if we're talking about players who are going to make an impact year one right away, I think the Bears got the most like NFL-ready guys. Like, Kellen Mond is going to need some time to develop. So is Patrick Jones the second for the Vikings. Um, the Chargers, I think, outside of Rashawn Slater and Asante Samuel Jr., like, most of these guys are developmental guys like Trey McKitty and stuff. So... I think in terms of NFL-ready guys day one right now, the Bears probably had the best one, honestly. Bro, stole my pick. <laughs> he stole the my Bears, pick, really? Yeah. You too? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I had the Bears having the best draft. Only because, like, when me and Joel was talking about this last week, he was telling me how, like, the Bears have never had a quarterback to, like, have, like, I think, was it 4K or 3K yards in the 4K season? 4K passing yards. 4K passing yards in the season. And I was just... Doing my research, you know, going over the quarterbacks they had, and uh, like getting Justin Fields at that value was impressive because I'm I'm high on Justin Fields. I think he can be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He can be one of the best quarterbacks in this draft, and not only with that, with getting offensive linemen after Justin Fields at the places they got him, I think that was impressive. You know, getting that need at quarterback, somebody that they need to build a future around, you know, because they haven't had a superstar quarterback, yeah. and getting that was impressive. So I think them, and then not to mention, bro, like. Getting Khalil Herbert like he's he had already said everything you know Daz Newman I don't think you mentioned Toga did you mess, mention Toga the tight, uh, defensive tackle they got round seven no he's from BYU yeah, BYU big though move, big guy quick mover you know he's good I had to do you know for me do my research but I think this with this draft like the Bears did have a really good drive you know getting Justin Field obviously was the number one thing but filling up that offensive line because they already got weapons I think that was the most impressive thing and since it's my go again I'm gonna tell you the worst draft. I think I think the Houston Texans easily had the worst draft just because of the simple fact that round one and round two, we can all agree, had so much talent and they didn't have a pick in those rounds. I think missing out on guys in the first round was was terrible for them. You know, getting guys who like we were we was drafting. I mean, we was uh on live for the first round, you know, getting guys that that talented superstar changes 
round two, you guys had, you had some guys who were still left that can be game changers. The Texans missing out on round one and two this year, I think it was really bad. And I think it's going to hurt them in their development because those guys could have been game changers and could have maybe pushed the needle on the Deshaun Watson situation. I'm not too sure, but losing out on that first two rounds was big for them, and I think that's why they're the losers of this draft. Honestly, I don't think anybody the Texans drafted would have changed where they were at. I mean, they drafted Davis Mills. That's the only thing you can really argue with. But Davis Mills, I don't think he's better than Kellen Mond. I'm but I, I, I can understand why Davis Mills got drafted there. But I don't really think he's going to develop. You know, I don't think he's going to be that good of a quarterback. So because of that, obviously, that's why I don't think the Texans had a great draft. But they also had no picks. Yeah. But I'll say this. The worst draft was the Seahawks. They had three picks. They drafted Dwayne Eskridge. I think he's an okay receiver. He kind of resembles Tyler Lockett. And they drafted Trey Brown, cornerback out of Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma's had a history of having horrific defenses. And then they drafted Stone Forsyth, offensive tackle out of Florida. And, you know, I don't know how good he is, but three right. guys. I mean, for, for this to be a successful draft for the Seahawks, all three of these guys have to pan out, you know, basically. I looked at the Seahawks as more of like an incomplete because you really can't grade them because they didn't have the picks to really grade a sense, especially a quintessential first round, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to uh to mention with the Bears and the Chargers, I think the Chargers did have a better draft on them only because of the gamble they took on fields. If you're gonna go out and get a quarterback the way they did it, they did it because you gave up the next first round pick. So now. If Fields doesn't pan out next year or uh, injury or something, you just lost a top five pick. Because mm-hmm. if we really put it, the strings together, Dalton's not leading them anywhere. Fields right now, I don't think they're going to lead them anywhere. You're losing a top 10 pick to get Fields, so this better pan out in a sense. So because of the gamble and because of the sure um, of getting Slater and of getting you know Asante Samuel uh, Jr., that was that just to me it just puts the security blanket for me, so that puts him ahead. Now going back to the worst draft, the Raiders are just there. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, yeah, for sure. you know, for someone who had a first round pick and everything, they they picked up Leatherwood, which I believe was just a reach and a half for for no reason, really. Realistically, they had other needs, and they had players that for those needs that were there um, at linebacker as well, and they just decided to do what they do best and just mess things up in whatever way they can. Now we'll give them credit. Uh, Morig was a great pickup as a safety from TCU. He was he's amazing. To me, that was a great pickup. I actually wanted him to follow the Giants. The Giants ended up trading back again, uh, so on and so forth. Um, Cons, they picked them up, which I believe was also a reach out of Buffalo. Um, it didn't really make sense to me in a sense, considering they did need what they needed. Um, then they proceeded to to draft more safeties after picking up Morick. So it's kind of like, where are you really leading this team for? What are you really doing? And then after that, I believe they picked up, let me see, they picked up a corner from Hobbs from Illinois, and then they picked up a center, uh, Mauricio from Pittsburgh. Um, all in all, that that draft to me was more of, you're looking at that team, and we're going to get into this later uh, with Aaron Rodgers, where you can make a, t- a, a change at quarterback and kind of put yourself in a position to kind of battle in that division. I don't think you're going to get anywhere with the teams that are there, but... They didn't put themselves in, in a better position that they were already were, in my my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't think they got better. I don't think they did anything that has like for the potential for the future to make themselves better than what they are now. And for that reason, I believe they had the worst draft. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the Raiders definitely had a bad draft. Out the Cowboys too. I mean, they picked up a corner to Sean Wright, who said that he's uh, 
Fast or something, Richard Sherman, which is crazy. Oh, that was that guy. Yeah, he's yeah. Nashawn Wright. So a lot of people are faster. Well, Sherman. I'm not gonna lie, he fits the Cowboys. So oh yeah, faster Richard Sherman. So we'll see what he turns into. But that's a lot of confidence for that guy. You know, Michael like Parsons. Like I said, man, some things are better left unsaid. He should have definitely never said that. But you know, those are what we think were the best and worst drafts of uh, the NFL. You know, draft period. And now moving on to uh, Adam Schefter and uh, the story about Aaron Rodgers. So basically, he reported on his draft day, Schefter did, that, let me get the tweet exactly so I'm reading exactly how it is because I don't want to mess it up. So he said, reigning MVP Aaron Rodgers is so disgruntled with the Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to to the team. League and team sources told ESPN on Thursday. So on the Dan Patrick show today, uh, Adam Schefter admitted that he decided to release the Aaron Rodgers story without any sources and decided to release it on draft day. Dan Patrick tried to, you know, get him to talk more. And Schefter basically said, look, this is not coming from a source. You know, this is just off of uh, off of uh, rumblings that he has heard. So he basically went off his gut feeling of what he thinks the situation is. And the reason why Schefter decided to report it on draft day of all days is because he figured it was going to come out eventually. So I'm guessing his thought process was he might as well be the first. And ironically, it was on draft day where ESPN possibly gets their most viewership and clicks and buzz around that day. And I mean, this tweet from Schefter got 105,000 likes on Twitter. So it obviously was big, big news. And, you know, for me, I think the problem with this is that if Adam Schefter is just giving a take, I'm fine with it. But he specifically said league and team sources told ESPN but that never happened. So that's where I think everything kind of went downhill because he literally said league and team sources told ESPN when they, in fact, never did. It's, and you, you know, it's, 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 it's a bad situation because he's one of the most credible guys in football. You know, he's not one of those guys that come out and make lies. He's pretty, he's one of the guys we follow up, him and Ian Rapp, like we follow up for real, for real to get the information on NFL and news. And to come out and just kind of like put a little stain on his credibility, I don't know why he did it. I, I like it's, I guess he did it just to heat up draft day or whatever. But it kind of puts a stain on his credibility in a sense because now you come out and you you lied on national television and you literally said league and team search, so now you made it seem like other teams lied too. So now it looks bad on both parts. I still think he's going to, you know, he's still, everybody's going to believe what he says. I still think he's going to have that power where he can still, you know, be credible. But I think people are going to look back at this and say, well, this is something that's a stain on Adam Scheffner. But I think he's done enough in his career where this is going to go over in a couple years, even maybe even a couple months. I think he's done pretty much enough where it's like people have done worse with little to no sources and people have done worse with not, without his credibility. So I think he'll be okay. It's just this is something as of right now in the heat of the moment, off season, you know, this is like, yo, bro, like, come on. Like, but with all the Aaron Rodgers stuff coming out, like, this is something that we need to be sure about because he's not, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the frenzy that everything created with that on draft night, everybody was like, okay, who's trading up? Who's trading out? 
who's sending picks over to the Green Bay. And the crazy part about everything now that we know that there was no sources, that he was just saying it, it actually makes itself almost credible because the Packers continually came out and said, well, we're not trading Aaron Rodgers. We're not doing this and that. But we already knew that there was turmoil in between the organization with Aaron Rodgers as well. So it just becomes more of a sense that, like, I believe that he did it, like you said, just to get it out there first. It was going to happen eventually. But we, everyone knew already that there was turmoil from the seasons before. That he, and then Rodgers, I believe, I don't know who quoted him. I don't think it was Shefty. It could have been someone else. That he told his teammates that he doesn't plan on returning. Um, I could be wrong by somebody else. But there's just turmoil all around. And I don't believe that it's going to be something that's going to transpire into the fact that it's going to change the outcome. I believe Aaron Rodgers still is either going to get dealt or he won't play. Yeah, whether Aaron Rodgers does want out or he wants to stay in Green Bay is not really my problem with the entire situation. Because if he does, in fact, want to go, okay, some people can say, oh, then Schefter was right. But I don't think that was a problem. I think the problem is that Schefter reported on something that he didn't know was true or not. He's just reporting on something that he believes is his gut feeling. And this has created a ripple effect on Aaron Rodgers to the point where when this report report first came out, oh, Rodgers is now a diva. Rodgers is now this. You know, then other people start reporting that, oh, Rodgers said it in a text message that uh, Brian Gutenkest is Jerry Krause and he's MJ. And some people are now bashing Aaron Rodgers. And this is why Aaron Rodgers has repeatedly said that he hates the media because it is a clickbait society and I don't think it's a coincidence that on the biggest day that ESPN has yearly, which is the NFL draft, this report gets reported because Schefter said that he's had this information sitting for weeks. He's had he's heard rumors for weeks about this stuff, but he decided to do it on draft day when no league source or team source told him specifically, even though that's what he tweeted. And he even told Dan Patrick that nothing that morning came to me. That made me release it. I just thought it was eventually going to get released. So I might as well have done it that day. I don't think it's a coincidence that he did that. But former Packer John Kuhn, who was a tight uh, fullback, he was a pretty good fullback for them. He he said that he has talked to Aaron Rodgers and they had a conversation. And there, there definitely is some frustration between him and the Packers organization. Like that is true. Like Rodgers is upset with how... They have been building around him for the last couple of years. So that's definitely true. But I don't think that's the problem with the situation. The problem is that Adam Schefter is a credible guy. And he's supposed to represent what the media should be in terms of going about things the right way and reporting on things the right way. If Schefter is just coming out and saying whatever without any sources, what makes him more credible outside of his already, you know, credible name than a regular Twitter guy that tweets out rumors or a regular Instagram or football yeah. news page. You know, what makes you any different if you're just going to go off of no sources, nothing makes you different. You know, these are the same guys that like to, you know, try to, I guess, uh, they try to hold the line for other journalists, aspiring journalists. They try to, these are the same guys that try to, you know, kind of talk down on other people that break news yet. They're not using sources. So I think that's, more of the problem than anything else. You know, of course, we know that Rodgers is frustrated. Yeah. Whether he wants out and is not going to return to the team, we don't know that. Mm -hmm. What was this about? 
Yeah, that was our one. Man, I'm, man, I'm, I'm in the heat of the moment, man. He said the, I thought he was going to slam. Yeah, I thought he was going to slam it too. He just like. Man, I can't slam it. I'm going to hit the mic. I'm gonna, It's going to make a sound. Man, what was that about going to the bathroom and you know, taking a leak? That man? was ridiculous. You know water. You know. Yeah, man, don't worry about my hand movements. Well, what's going on here? <laughs> no, but yeah, I think that's more of the problem that's happening with Aaron Rodgers right now. You know, I think, you know, it's messed up because I think Aaron Rodgers, from what I've seen on the Pat McAfee show, he looks like a chill dude. He looks like he keeps to himself, you know, so. He's a funny guy. Yeah, I, I don't think he's this type of dude that the media has tried to portray him to be. I don't think he's that. And Pat McAfee has even, you know, throughout this whole process has been defending him. And he's actually been getting backlash for that. So, you know, I think this report has kind of ruined Aaron Rodgers' image to an extent. And I think that's not fair to him. And I think that's the bigger yeah. problem in this yeah. whole. Yeah. If any, if any quarterback deserves to say what they need to say, I think it's the MVP, Aaron Rodgers. 100%. So I, really, I recently saw a stat on Twitter or Instagram, one of those, I believe, that... There have been three teams that have not won a playoff game in the last 20 years. The Miami Dolphins, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Detroit Lions. You said 20 years? Yeah. God damn. The Browns were recently on that list, but they won a playoff game. So which team that hasn't won a playoff game in the last 20 years will win one first? The Dolphins, Bengals, or Lions? And another bonus question. Do you think any of them win a playoff game in the next three or four years? Now, this is a tricky one because I feel like <laughs> the Lions are going to, in the next two years, win like three games in two years, right? So it really comes down to the two teams that are in the same same conference, the Dolphins and the Bengals. Now, the Bengals, it's, it's getting spooky over there. You know, they have a lot of young talent. That offense looks charged up. You know, they got to fix a little bit of the defense up. On Miami side, that defense was elite last year, very elite. Tua still got some kings to work. They just brought in Waddle. You know, they got that uh, tight end, Mike Gisicki. Mike Gisicki. Thank you. So it, it's, it's tricky, but I'm looking at everything. I feel like right now Miami's division is a lot harder with the Patriots, the Jets, the Bills. I think the Bengals have an opportunity. Ah, no, I can't even say that because the Browns and the Ravens are right there too. Pittsburgh's not going away. I, th- I think right now I'm looking at the quarterbacks. I believe in Joe Burrow more than I believe in Tua right now. I think with that offense and Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, if he could stay healthy, Tyler Boyd, I think that offense can make some real noise. I think the defense is going to get better. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals. I think they're the ones who do it. I think they win a playoff game before Miami and before Detroit. I think they'll win a playoff game in the next two, three years too. Oh, mine is an easy decision. I think the Dolphins are are almost knocking on the door. I don't know if they're gonna make. They're gonna go this year, and they're gonna go and win a game. If they do, it will be an upset. It's not. They're not gonna be favored in any game they go in the playoffs this year. I don't believe it is. I think the AFC is too. I think they're too. Uh, they're too stacked on that side in the AFC. Um, but that being said, like you said, I don't see the Lions at all in the next couple of years doing. I mean, anything. Jared Goff did get to a Super Bowl. Oh, good job. Yeah, with the Ravens, yeah, yeah, I'm not. Or Donald, I'm not acknowledging Jared Donald Gurley. Yeah, that defense is yeah, just. I don't, I don't know where they're at. They just drafted true. Panay Sewell. Hey, dope. Yeah, are we compare? Can we compare defense? Aaron Donald and, and Amon Ross. Aaron around. Donald will run them over. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, the defense is alone is just going <laughs> to take. Detroit is going to win like six games in three. They years. might be the worst team in the league this year. They're not going to win a game. Yeah, I think they probably will be yeah. one of them. Yeah, if Deshaun doesn't play, then maybe the Texans have something to say for that. But 
Um, going back to the question, uh, the Dolphins are definitely going to be my choice. And you said within the next three to five years, you said? Yes. They'll win a game. They'll de- I think they'll definitely be able- They're young right now, but I think they'll be able to mesh with a couple more free agent acquisitions and a couple more draft picks. They'll, they'll definitely be able to win a game. So for me, obviously, I'm knocking out the Lions pretty God, easily off this. I mean, the next time the Lions make the pl- make the playoffs, not even win a game, the next time they make the playoffs, I'll probably have kids in an entire family. I know, Riv, you already have that, so you can't <laughs> say that for yourself. But uh, then we talk about the Bengals. You know, I can see them sneaking into the playoffs. It's just the division is so tough. Like the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield and the Browns. Like, do I think the Bengals are going to be winning that division in the next three years? No. I really don't see that. Can they can they fight for a wild card spot? Maybe, but I just don't see them making the not even winning the playoff game. But like, I don't see them making the playoffs in the next three years. I may be a little bit harsh, but I see. Th- I think in that fourth year they'll make it. You know, after they get some more free agent signings and some you know uh, draft picks, but. I think, you know, it's probably pretty much wraps for them for now. And then the Dolphins, it seems like the most likely option uh, because they just got Waddle, you know, Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, <laughs> Mike Gusecki. Their defense, look, their defense is misleading. They did, they, did not, they did not allow a lot of points, but they did allow a lot of yards. They oh, yeah. just didn't allow a lot of points. But, you know, that can easily switch from one year to the next. But... The Dolphins seem like the most realistic team because of Tua, and we'll see how he develops. But I've said it before. I don't think Tua's a franchise uh, game-changing quarterback. I think he's a Jimmy Garoppolo guy. Like, he's just going to be a a solid guy, what Jared Goff was to the Rams. Like, you know, he can have a run like that. But I don't think he's an elite-level quarterback or can be that. And also, the AFC is tough. I mean, AFC East is tough. The Patriots, the Bills, the Jets with Zach Wilson, because he's going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the league. I see what you tried to do there. No you tried to about sneak it. your team in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like, the Dolphins, maybe, I think the Dolphins for now, like, for the next two years, they're going to be that team that is highly competitive. But because the Patriots seem to be back, they have Mac Jones, who is a better quarterback than Tua. Like, yes. I just think that. It's going to be hard for the Dolphins Wait, to make the playoffs yes. as well. Wait, what did you say? Mac Jones is a better quarterback than Tua. Yeah, he wait. will be a better quarterback. Yeah, you guys, I like that better than he mm-hmm. is. Right? So it, it's wait. going to be it's going to be tough for the Dolphins not only to win a playoff game but to make the playoffs. So if I had to, of course, I have to pick in this segment. But my gut feeling would be that none of these teams win a playoff game in the next three years. But if I were to pick one, it would probably be the Dolphins just because of where I see them at. Mm-hmm. But I don't think any of them do it. And I agree with you on I'm not high on Tua at all. I have a couple Dolphin friends that uh, they're they're very high on him, and obviously so they're fans. But let's be realistic. I think we we can all agree that we're high on Joe Burrow, huh? We're high on Joe Burrow though. Yeah. No, I'm high on Joe. I think yeah. Joe Burrow is a star. Yeah, bang, bang, bang. me too. I think and he's you know, a star. Looking at the AFC, you know, Buffalo, Miami, New England, they're gonna fight. Tennessee, the Colts, they're gonna fight. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cleveland, they're gonna fight. Kansas City. Chargers, maybe Denver, they're going to fight. So it's going to be a real tough, you know, tough, tough AFC this year. But I think, you know, I just, I think Joe Burrow being so much better than Tua in year one, and I think he's already going to have that projection of being one of those superstar quarterbacks. I could trust and put my faith in the fact that he can get them to the playoffs yeah. and get them a win. You know, the thing with me is that the Lions, we know they're dysfunctional. Oh, and yeah, we're not even. I actually like their coaching staff and the direction they went in this past draft, but I just don't think they have the talent. The Bengals, 
I just think it's going to take at least two years until they build up that offensive line. Like, I think two more seasons until they build up that offensive line to be a good to great one. And their defense, I think they got worse with their secondary this past season. So we'll see what happens there. Like, the Dolphins seem like the most complete team, but I just don't think they have the quarterback that's at that level. I think Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow on the Dolphins, I think they're the second best team in the AFC East, might might win the division. Like I think Joe Burrow is that special because he's so good at reading defenses. But, you know, that's the thing with me, you know. It's really tough to pick between these three teams. It really is. Mm-hmm. Even tough to pick the Lions because the Lions, it's, it's, it's just tough to pick between the Dolphins and the Bengals, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's you know, it's it's a tricky situation. Both divisions are very tough. You know, obviously the East having the Jets, you know, bottom feeders. So it's it's really just the Bills, the Dolphins and the Patriots and then in the north, you know, Pittsburgh is gonna always be there, but we don't know how Big Ben's gonna play coming in. Baltimore, we know they're gonna be ready. Cleveland, we know with that draft they just had, they're gonna be ready. So it's it's gonna be tough in Cincinnati, but I think, you know, we look at the AFC West, I think we can all agree the Raiders aren't gonna make the playoffs, or we don't think the Raiders mm-hmm. are going to be that I good. Don't have no Denver, we don't know. They can go up. They can go down. You know, With Teddy, maybe. Yeah, it's like a 50-50. I, I think the Chargers, we expect them to make a push. And then, you know, the South, we think the Texans and the Jaguars are completely out of it. So it's. I don't think so. Oh, okay. I think the Jags are going to be better than the Titans next year. Oh, is that like you're, you're, like you're saying that? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't wait for you. I like players. this. Wow. Okay, like first this. dumb take of the year. Got it. Oh, we'll see. There's that. But yeah, like I said. To you're the, a Tannehill fan. I love Tannehill. <laughs> they lost a lot. Yeah. All right, back to the reality. Um, yeah, the yeah. Titans and the Colts. I think they'll be fighting. Wow, you you really said that? Nah, I can't. I don't want to continue this topic no more. What's wrong with you? That's ridiculous. Jag- are you really believe that? You, their talent is good. I don't know what you're talking about. You didn't even see the talent play yet. Marvin Jones Jr. He's he's a dog. He's DJ a dog. Char- he plays five yeah. games a year. Yes, he's all right. DJ Chark is good. Lavisca Chanel showed flashes. James Robinson. And Travis Etienne in that backfield. Trevor Lawrence, if he he's won the guy. One game. Trevor Lawrence, if he's the guy that we think he is. What the, what, who'll get him to 10 wins immediately? Not 10. Titans will not win 10 wins this year. They will not win eight games. Okay, but even, but you look at the division. Look at the conference, though. The Jaguars will no, win eight games? No, we said the division. The Colts. This house is going to be the Colts, uh-huh. Jaguars, Titans, and Texans. That's what it's going to be. Wow. You think season. Titans are going to be at the bottom? Texans? No, no. What'd you say? Third, they're going to be third. Oh, Texas okay, okay. will be last. Oh, yeah, I can't Titans wait. Will be third. <laughs> okay, okay. Jags will be second. They have a really good offensive line, mm-hmm. and their defense, Josh Allen, Calavion, Chase on, you know, I think uh, signing Shaq Griffin, having Miles Jack still there, like, yeah, they got they got a lot of talent. We'll see. Got a lot of talent. Tennessee at three, Jacksonville at two for you. I'm telling you, Tennessee is not going to be that good. That ETM pick was just so, I, I don't know. Their one bright spot for me was James Robinson last year, and then they went ahead and drafted him high. So just, they also signed Tyson Campbell. I mean, I drafted Tyson Campbell was a really good corner out of Georgia. So I mean, they, I'm telling you, they got some dogs, bro. Georgia boy, they got some dogs. Don't don't sleep on the Jags. No, I'm sleep, okay. I ain't gonna lie, I'm knocked. They won't be surprised, man. I'm telling you, that's how I see the division shaping out. So you got Colts, Colts, Jags, Titans, Texans. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I have Colts, Titans, Jaguars. Titans had one of the worst defenses in the league last year. And they still won 11 games. Yeah, and then they lost Corey Davis and John o. Smith. Yeah, that's true. But they have that big beast at running back. So I yeah, think with the weakened <laughs> offensive line, yeah. we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, Jacksonville, you're relying on Trevor Lawrence, who hasn't played a lick of no, NFL I'm relying football. on the talent they have on that team. 
a lot of talent. Marvin you Jones, EJ Chark, James Robinson, Travis Etienne. That same talent you named won a game last year. They won a game. Like they had one win. Yeah, but and their defense, their quarterback. Yeah, was quarterback just, has right, so, so much realistically, to do with that. Trevor Lawrence is going to get them how many wins? I say, I say the, I take the under at six. Okay, so you taking the under? I, no, I, I take you over six. Over six. Yes, yeah, okay. six is the All minimum right. they'll they'll yeah, they'll yeah, lose. So six and a half. You're taking the over. You're taking the six and a yeah. half. So they're gonna win seven over. games. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. That will be better than the Saints. Okay. Okay. That's... But Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be Andrew Luck. So if he is, then yeah. I mean, you said Zach Wilson was better. He is. Right. If yeah. Zach Wilson was on the Jags, they would make the playoffs. They'll be a lock. All right. Yeah. Next topic. That's why the Jags are so good. I, I mean, mean there's, the Jets are gonna be so good. We were we were uh, butting heads last year about the same thing. He didn't think Herbert was gonna be what he was, and I thought he was, and we both agreed on Tua. We both didn't weren't that high on Tua. He was a little higher than me though at the beginning of the year, but this year I think we agreed on most of the. Picks. What was that bad take you had about um that quarterback? Who I think you had a really bad take about him. Yeah. No, the take that was taken out of proportion. We can speak on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, he said Jake from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the take that was taken out of proportion because I said, and I was wrong about Tannehill. It had nothing to do mm. with Jake from. I said that his the way he plays mm. gave me Jake from vibes. They were just so nonchalant the way they played. There was okay. nothing that he was said. There that's was, a lie. Huh? The tweet was that Jake from can do what yeah, Tannehill he is told doing me you right said. now. Yeah. And I believe that because I just didn't have no faith. I had zero That's faith crazy, in Tannehill. I, but that was before the two breakouts. I mean, seasons. I did not even think Jake Fromm was a... Huh? I did not even think Jake Fromm was an NFL quarterback. Mm. I still don't think so. I was more I was more I bashing I was more bashing Tannehill. I think he's a great believe- Yeah, no, I was bashing Tannehill more than believing in Jake Fromm because we both knew Jake Fromm was never a quarterback. But it was more of a, a bash towards Tannehill. Yeah, I mean, Georgia I love Tannehill, but that the Titans, yeah. Yeah, the Titans got worse on the offensive line. They lost Jonu Smith and Corey Davis. They did not they did not get a second receiver to compliment them. They're still going to have one of the worst defenses in the league last year. I mean, ne- this upcoming season, like I think they're going to take a huge drop off, like no doubt about it. But that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast, episode number eighty three. So as always, if you guys want to rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts, you can and give us five stars. We're almost at 30 reviews right now. We're at 26. And, you know, this was a good episode. Sebastian, first time being on the show. You know, Riv, coming here, prepare. You know, I like it. So it was a great show all around. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.